So that's what I'm saying. The text is like an object. It's gonna change perspective based on where you're standing. I don't know. Hello? Can you hear me? Can you hear me? I missed you, baby sweet. It was a day. Hmm? It was a day. Please tell me you're seeing this too. Welcome back to Drink in the Movies with Michael. And Taylor. This week we're going to be discussing Predator, The Predator, Sex, Lies, and Videotape, Dressed to Kill, A Simple Favor, and Room 104. Let's get to it. As always, let's start with first impressions. What did we get today? Today we got Hellbent's Oktoberfest beer. Cheers. How is it, Jen? Tell us. It's beautiful. What's it against your lips? It's so good. What kind of beer? Ooh. Yes. Mm. That's good. Fall has nearly arrived. It's just about here. It's a little darker than some of the other ones we've had, and that just seems to fit with the change of the seasons. And it's kind of caramely. It's lovely. Um, yeah, I think when this episode comes out, it will be fall. That's right. 21st is around the corner. Happy fall. Uh, so what have we got in first impressions today? We have two films that we will be viewing today. First, we're going to watch uh, the trailer for First Man, the new film from Damien Chazelle. And then we'll check out the new film from Barry Jenkins, If Beale Street Could Talk. Which one do you want to do first? Let's do First Man first. All right. It has gone to the moon. Neil Armstrong, Buzz Aldrin. We have a goal for main engine start. Minus 10. The entire world's watching. Nine. Do you question whether the program's worth the cost? Seven. In money and in lives? Do you think you're coming back? All right. We just watched First Man. What do you think, Michael? The first question I have for you is how excited are you that this has Claire Foy in it? That was the first thing when I saw her face. I just lit up and then I proceeded to have goosebumps as the sound built in and the stakes were built. And I saw Corey Stoll in there and Kyle Chandler and it just looks like a great ensemble. But yeah, Claire Foy, good, good job on you. Great cast. I like Ryan Gosling, but he's a little bit like Tim. Uh, I was about to say Timothy Chalamet, not Timothy Chalamet. He's a little bit like Army Hammer to me, in that he's best when he's doing less talking instead of more talking. And I think this will be a uh, less heavy on the dialogue kind of role for him. So mm-hmm. I think this um, is uh, another opportunity for him to shine. I liked him a little less in La La Land. I liked him a little more in something like Drive. So I think he looks like a. Uh, like the right man for the role. He sure does. Um, one thing, though, just you don't like it when he talks or you don't like it when he has like kind of a, a role where all the stakes are put on him talking. Mm, I think what I like most about him is his sort of physicality and his use yeah. of his body. And it has less to do with like his vocal delivery yeah. or sort of his like use of words specifically. So I think this is something where he can sort of put his strengths forward. Yeah. Which is great. The, the reason I asked is because we're going to be talking about a Shane Black film later. 
Mm. And uh, yeah. I think that his ability to use dialogue in The Nice Guys from Shane Black uh, yeah. was great. But I think it's because it's comedic. So I, that's why I was wondering if maybe there's a difference in his abilities um, when we're talking about comedy versus when we're talking about drama, more serious things. That's a great point because... I do kind of forget about some of his comedic roles. I did think he was kind of funny in The Big Short. Yeah, hilarious. I really liked The Big Short. So, yeah, you're right. That's a good point. I may caveat that, that it has something to do with maybe dramatic versus comedic performances. Yeah, it's a good and call. I think that uh, Refn certainly uses him to his greatest abilities and just giving us kind of that third-person shadow. Yeah. Uh, which it seems like Chazelle uh, may have watched some Refn films and how he's depicting this. Yeah, but, yeah. Claire Foy's in this, so pretty fucking excited. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think it looks great. Um, the question that it really still hasn't answered for me is like, why this story now? Like, I still am not sure what uh, Chazelle might have to say about this particular historical event. Um, I think it's an interesting choice. I mean, obviously, it's a step up in scale, but um, I mean, you could take, you know, a films set in space in a lot of different directions why specifically he chose the moon landing now i'm interested to see why he might have been interested in it so my perspective um on chazelle is entirely different i don't think that his films really have more to say about something than they have something to communicate about how things feel Mm -hmm. i think the whiplash communicates how it feels to be a mentor or a mentee in this kind of abusive relationship that creates beautiful works of art. Mm. I think that La La Land plays into that similarly, but is also about how he feels about LA. And I think this is going to be more about how he feels about cost sacrifice to move forward as a species. And also about how he feels about space and, and our, our transition in as a species that is no longer just host to one planet. Yeah. I think it's more about feel with him than um, yeah. maybe... Uh, Theme, perhaps. Yeah. Um, yeah, that makes sense. I would agree. It's a great way to put it. I'm excited to see it. Yeah. Very, very eager. I, I'm starting to think that Claire Foy may be challenging herself in my personal awards for best role, because uh, she's already, I think, leading if Tony Collette isn't for uh, Unsane. Mm, for just your favorite performance of the yeah. year? Uh, for From a female. Yeah, gotcha. Um, and then... She's probably going to compete with herself with the girl in the spider's web. That's right. She has a uh, big year. And then she could nab supporting with this role. Yeah. So I'm a little bit nervous about how Claire Foy uh, heavy my personal words are going to be at the end of the year. But uh, she certainly won't be a wounded soldier, it looks like. That's for sure. Yeah. She has been busy. And all uh, for pretty productive reasons. Mm-hmm. So should we get over to if Beale Street could talk? Let's do it. Cheers. I'm sorry, baby. I didn't mean none of that for you. I love you. You know that. I do. And I understand what you're going through because I'm with you. The things that tormented me the most were the very things that connected me with all the people who were alive. just watched if beale street could talk what do you think michael i absolutely love this trailer it's uh just got that sensitivity that 
we felt in mm-hmm. Moonlight. It just feels like you're literally feeling everything in this trailer, like the wet pavement, uh, the cigarette smoke. Just to cut um, in, it exudes it. Yeah. I mean, this just feels like visual poetry in a way, right? Yes. Yes. Um, it, oh, it, I felt the trailer. I didn't watch it. Yeah. Yeah. The way the camera is moving so elegantly and just gliding from those faces um it's a swoon. it's great yeah yeah a very tactile kind of feel to it with directors like this i always wonder if they do some sort of a choreography type of pacing mm. um where like everything's planned out like you definitely get mm. that sense from chazelle's earlier whiplash kind of that everything was was edited and uh filmed with with a certain choreography and with yeah. a director like him, you know, Moonlight is so expansive. It works mm. on so many levels that I, I just wonder how much comes naturally and how much is planned and meticulous with a director like this. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a good question. And that's what's so weird is that they do feel so kind of big, but what we're seeing is so ordinary. Mm-hmm. Just people walking down the street, people in their kitchens, um, and yet it feels just like the universe is in those shots, right? Yes. They just feel much bigger than the sum of their parts. And I, I haven't read this book in nine years. I oh, you almost, have read it. I mm. remember almost nothing about it, but it, it feels like a James Baldwin mm. piece. I, I've read quite a bit from him. You know, a fair amount of, of his books are things that you almost don't think could be adapted be because it would need someone like a Barry Jenkins to communicate the how it felt to be reading how a character was living. Yeah. And it seems like Barry is able to communicate how it feels to be a character living in this world. And yeah. I'm really excited at the prospect of him um, using that voice for femininity, like it mm. seems like he's going yeah. to do, because there's a lot of beautiful um, feminine voice to Moonlight that I think is going to translate really well to this. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, Moonlight was uh, really hyper-specific on, you know, the it's the focus of a relationship and, and one man in particular. I mean, there are a lot of different bases we're seeing here. I mean, this looks like an ensemble. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, I can't wait to get to know those characters, you know? It yeah. kind of feels like you already do from that trailer alone, mm-hmm. right? Um, and it, like, they're, it's almost like they're not actors while they're in mm, this movie. Yeah. They're the characters. Yeah. And that's, that's really just a, something special. Yeah. Did you notice that uh, Paperboy was in this trailer? Who's Paperboy? Uh, I think his name, uh, his full name, I believe, is Brian Tyree Hill. But he is the fellow from the Widows trailer who oh. comes after Viola Davis saying, um, you owe me money. Mm. But he oh, is in Atlanta him. as Paperboy. Got it. The uh, titular rapper uh, who... Um, Donald Glover is managing. Ah, in got the it. Series looks like he's got a strong supporting presence. Yes, in both. Another big year. This is a heavy movie. Like I know, I'm, these you feel two it. trailers just changed how I feel. Today. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think it's super exciting when you have movies just this diverse. Um, you know, going into a really busy fall season that I think are equally affecting, but working on like very different yeah. scales. Um, but are really just packed with feeling. So yeah, and it it's getting busier. Mm-hmm. Like Gaspar and Way still doesn't have a release date for climax. They yeah. they um uncommitted from a fall release, meaning it could be winter now. Oh really? So we're about to 
go through kind of a hectic October. I think that this is yeah. kind of the lull before the storm. Do you think we should um, let the listeners know where we're at with our our best films on the year so far, like our top ten? Ooh, you want to go through the whole top ten? Yeah, I, th- I think just do a little recap so that people know where we're at right now before fall comes in and changes our entire list. Because we're, yeah. you know, we're we're at a point where we're nine months into the year, and probably at least six out of the ten films in our top ten aren't going to be there anymore. That's true. So this is kind of a, a last chance to. Uh, are we waving to goodbye to some there. of these, maybe? <laughs> I think we might be. I think I might have to finally wave goodbye to a quiet place. Yeah. I think that's what this fall lineup is looking like. I think um, we can run through them. Um, do you want to take turns from um, going in descending or ascending order? Uh, let's start with number 10. Number 10? Mm-hmm. If yours already loaded, feel free to go first, because mine is still loading. All right. You want to do these at a snappy pace, since we'll be doing it in detail towards the end of the year? Yes. All right. Yep. Number 10, a documentary. Won't You Be My Neighbor? Ah. This movie just about wrecked me in the theater. It stuck with me. I don't think it's going to be in the top 10, since, especially since it's at number 10, but I enjoyed it it's, a great deal. It's kind of a decider on my list of mm. about things that I really think are good and things that I think are good enough to be on my list at all. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my number 10 is uh, Rooney Mars Mary Magdalene with Joaquin mm. Phoenix's Jesus. There you go. My number nine, another documentary, Minding the Gap. Hulu original. We both liked it quite a bit. Yep. I just moved it outside my top 10. Ah, Bye-bye. It's at 12. Uh, my number nine is Mission Impossible Fallout. Nice. Love it. My number eight, The Rider. I was a bigger fan than you. Yeah, by a lot. Uh, my number eight, Emily Blunt's A Quiet Place. There you go. My number seven, Annihilation. Another one we split on. Uh, yeah, it's not even on my top ten, or on my top list of the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, my number seven, a film you might like, Support the Girls. Great movie. We'll get there. My number six, Lean on Pete. One that I never expected to be anywhere near the top of this list, but there it is. Charlie Plummer, great performance. Yep. Uh, Ethan Hawke's First Reformed is my number six. Mm. Still to come. Number five, Thoroughbreds. Yeah, it went outside my top 20, I think, now, Ooh. unfortunately. Um, my number five, Jennifer Lawrence's Red Sparrow. Very nice. Number four, Support the Girls. Ooh, I like it. <laughs> number four, Unsane with Claire Foy. Very nice. Number three, this one's going to be painful for you. Isle of Dogs, Wes Anderson. Yep, that's his worst film. Mm. Uh my number three is Christian Bale in Hostiles. Oh, yeah, that's right. I, I had forgotten about Hostiles. I think that could be a wounded soldier for you. It's one that, yeah. you know, could be at risk of, like, falling out of the conversation. Then you got to come back and it, champion. It's a really unique thing because it had a um, – they were trying to get it nominated for awards last year. Yeah, and it, it seems like uh, it released on, like, the 29th of last year mm. in super small theaters in major cities. Yeah. And then it went wide in, like, February. Yeah. It's a really weird case where you don't know what year it's in, and it came out this year for me, so this is where it's at. Yeah, it maybe just slipped between the... Much like the a, a Keith yeah. Ulick, I'm just going to go with, this is when it came out for me. Just pick a year. Deal with it. <laughs> yeah. My number two, Hereditary. Ooh, my number two, Hereditary. Hey, look hey! at that. That feels good. <laughs> 
And my number one, first performed. My number one, Steven Soderbergh's Mosaic. There you have it. Some will remain, some will surely go. Yeah, everything after number seven's definitely going to go, and probably number seven. Yep. Lots yet to be seen. Whew. All right. First impressions, done. We just got through 20 films. (laughs) We did. Do we need to take a break already? No. We we might, once these beers get a little bit little bit lower there we go uh we should we uh, something to listen to exactly should we uh go ahead and dive into our first feature let's get into 1987's predator that's right directed by john mctiernan starring the one and only arnold schwarzenegger knock knock we are rescue team not assassins now what do we got to do? Predator. The hunt begins. Stick around. We could just do Arnold impressions instead. Yeah, I think that people would really yeah. enjoy that because we are very good at articulating words. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we both like this movie quite a bit, I think. We both gave it four and a halfs. Yeah, four and a halfs with the heart. One of those movies that I kind of grew up watching continuously, but... You, you know, when you're at that age, you don't really focus on the movie too much. You're yeah. kind of playing while you're watching it. So I, I didn't really retain any of it or understand any of it other than the thing got invisible and murdered shit, and that was cool. Yeah, that's basically all I knew about it. I think I had seen chunks of it on TV, probably, growing up. had probably seen it on the rack at Hollywood Video. Mm-hmm. But I am almost positive I never saw it from start to finish because I didn't remember anything about the narrative or what happens except well, for just certain images yeah. um, for for me at that age it you see very few things from start to finish because you mm. have to be in a theater when you're that age to be kept still the entire time yeah. what really gripped me this time around was how they introduce Arnold with a cigar mm. and he just keeps mowing down on these cigars uh, instead of talking mm. and when he finally does talk it's these great one-liners or it's this um super trim like if if you could get a cut of meat as lean mm. as this dialogue it yeah. would be the best fucking cut of meat in your goddamn life it's it just so good yeah i love that we get the exposition out of the way like right up front mm-hmm. here's the problem here's why arnold and team are here and we're moving Yep. We're going. We're in the and jungle. Things are happening. At the end, you you get the payoff, yeah. and there's no expository dialogue to continue building it up. Yeah, it's it's this is where we're at, and at the end, it's this is what was a lie. Yeah, and yeah. in between, there's just reckless mayhem, murder, cool yeah. brutality, and great one-liners. Yeah, so maybe just to set the stage for anyone who hasn't seen Predator, you correct me if I misrepresent anything plot-wise. Arnold and the rest of his military rescue team arrive in what I think is an unnamed South American country mm-hmm. with the intent to carry out a hostage rescue mission. Yes. Which they proceed in doing only to realize on their way back from this rescue mission that something in the jungle is following them and intent on killing them. Yeah, I, I think that a few things of note are they shot in uh, the Mexican rainforest. Mm. Just, I found it interesting. And then the other thing is, um, while they're proceeding through the mission, I believe that they've already engaged and can no longer pull out um, 
they come to find out that they are not the first people to try to extract this team Mm -hmm. and then we find the dangling um, skinned bodies that do not have their heads pulled out to their spines Mm -hmm. um, to get the thing that we will talk about in the predator yeah exactly (laughs) meaning they are not worthy adversaries yeah uh it's a pretty tight-knit group i want to say that there are uh four to six guys at top yeah i was gonna say five six maybe including um carl weathers yeah exactly Um, Um, most notably you know i ain't got time to bleed and jesse the body mm -hmm. ventura yeah yeah exactly great lines great a lot of great kind of one-liners like that you know minimal plot but also kind of minimal characterization you know we aren't learning a great deal about any of these characters backgrounds we're we're just kind of with them in the jungle yeah um there's nothing being discussed or that's being focused on outside of the immediate problem at hand um yeah and whether or not arnold is gonna light his next cigar yeah which he just might swallow. He looks like he could just chew it up. Not a problem. How about, how about that unassuming um, slow f- zoom in to the helicopter? Mm. When all these great lumbering men get out and you're like, I, I wonder where Arnold is. And then we slowly zoom into this shadow and he's sitting there with his sunglasses and a cigar in his mouth and he's lighting it. It's just this unassuming badassery. Yeah. It's that they're not making him into a Hulk Hogan figure. Yeah. They kind of... Yeah makes it bigger and tougher and, and leaner yeah um yeah i'm kind of trying to like remember some other arnold performances besides the terminator i don't think i've seen arnold in that many movies like i think total the last recall, action hero or was total it true recall, lies eraser true lies um what's that movie that he was in that was my favorite when i was a kid shoot jingle all the way yes great movie i loved that movie when i, I love that movie too i wanted that action figure so bad we will dedicate an entire podcast to that movie five hours <laughs> let's do it <laughs> um so yeah like it's i can't really talk about like arnold as an actor in any like larger sense but i do think like casting wise i think it's just it's just such a funny choice because his his strength doesn't really end up being like that valuable of an asset right this becomes mm-hmm. a battle of wits ultimately well, there's um there shoot what's his name it's not mike d'angelo who's uh there we go matt singer oh got matt singer is a noted uh arnold schwarzenegger lover that's right i totally know that yeah um him as a as a performer quite um elegantly Mm -hmm. and how arnold um more than his directors shapes his own genre Mm. he says the same thing about sylvester stallone uh, that there's these continuous themes or there's a noted absence of the theme mm. um, in his movies over and over and over. And I, I think that that's a very fascinating thing that kind of the gravitational pull of someone like Schwarzenegger is uh, as a performer is greater um, than an auteur's eye can mm. can affect him as, as a performer. He, he is just so weighted and changes everything around him in such a way that he really is one of those Marlon Brando movie stars. When mm. when you look back on it and you think about what it means to watch a Schwarzenegger film, mm. it it really does mean something, and it exudes a feeling in you. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of interesting to me to, to compare a little bit of him to The Rock because I'm not a particular fan of The Rock. I don't think like The Rock 
sort of like grounds all the frames that he's in the way Arnold does. Like yes. it feels like every image in this movie that Arnold is in is sort of shaped around his figure. Yes. Right. Which is hilarious because like, yes, his strength is like handy, but like it's, it's not the point of this. Right. Well, he's um, kind of at the height of his, uh, Mr. Olympian, um, or, or Mr. Universe mm. physique at this point, you know, his, oh, he looks good. His traps are basically thicker than my chest. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He is a lean mean machine yeah it's uh it's you know not a movie that you want to chew on for its themes or um but it is fascinating to like consider the themes what are you thinking well manipulation lies and manipulation from the federal government a soldier Mm. continuing to do his job even though he knows he was lied and manipulated uh him his famous words get to the chopper Mm -hmm. choppa are to um, someone who is his enemy. Mm, yeah. And he keeps her alive. Um, that he continues to fight this thing, even though he's on foreign soil and it's not really his problem. Mm-hmm. Y- you know, there are these buried themes that, that I, I think this is what Matt Singer's talking about that are continuous. You yeah. know, in, in Total Recall, in, in True Lies, in Eraser, it... Uh, mm. I think he's got another thing, like six days or seven days or something where... Um, yeah, that sounds familiar, but I don't remember the title. He, he has a certain amount of time to figure out if he's an AI or, like, to find his body double or something. Yeah. Um, it, it's just fascinating that there are themes. Yeah. And I think this is one of those movies where maybe we should try to identify them. Because mm. no one else is spending that, that mm. energy, or very few people are. You know, what was the predator in this original incarnation you know it's not Mm. based off of that i'm aware a artist's persona or or identity the way that hr geiger uh created the alien yeah yeah which um i know that in your review you take a stance that i do not agree with at all Mm. and that you think the predator is the superior um monstrosity from space oh to me it's much more interesting to me yeah and for for me i'd I understand why you're there. I mm. think I understand um, how framing and, and this is exposition gets you there. Yeah. But for me, knowing H.R. Geiger's background as an artist um, and my, my just overall appreciation for his art separate from the films yeah. and then starting with Prometheus, mm. um, once once again, that mythology really mm. gets me. Um, Numi Rapace is one of my favorite actresses when she's used right. So it's you know it's just me going with my preference and i think you going with your preference yeah so aliens a franchise that i I really haven't kept up with i never saw prometheus i never saw alien covenant so this that's kind of just like a gap for me and i think that mythology around that creature has certainly been built up um probably rightly so like i don't say built up like more than it deserves or anything like that um built up less than it deserves is how oh. I put it because mm. the Prometheus sequels were canceled and mm. we got that shitty uh Alien Covenant movie last year with yeah. like uh Danny McBride is one of the main characters and James Franco gets killed off very quickly you know it's it's just not yeah not Fass- good Michael Fassbender's back right uh yes yes yeah, yeah that can the continuation of that role is I, I think one of the best things happening kind of in cinema right now. 
but mm. I, I don't know if it's going to continue. But what he brings mm. is so unique. It's, you know, not to continuously compare uh, Professor X to Magneto, mm. but I think it's kind of like um, James McAvoy's Beast in mm. the yeah. Shyamalan series where what he's doing with his body and how he's working with filmmakers to manipulate his body to look like he's running like a dog and just mm. how masculine he, he comes off and yeah. what he's done with, um, who was it that directed, um, shame and hunger? Stephen Queen. Yeah. He was, uh, wasn't he one of the guys in there or was, were both of those, um, were both of those Magneto? It's sure. Michael Fassbender. Oh, gotcha. It's either yeah. Michael Fassbender or James McAvoy in those roles. Gotcha. So I, I yeah. think kind of what they're, what these two figures are bringing to cinema right now are um, mm. a, as kind of depictions that we look at to explore themes and ideas are, are kind of at the pinnacle. Mm. Yeah. Much yeah. like Brad Pitt was in the early 2000s. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean... I know people, you know, talk about Alien and Predator in the same vein because they converged, AVP, yeah. right? Um, which I don't think Predator I ever Rock saw. Queen. I don't think I ever saw those. If I did, I saw them in the theater, and I probably wasn't paying attention because I just I, I know saw them one with friends in junior high. I know and was terrible. Yeah. Um, I mean, in a way, I think, like, Predator and the original Alien are kind of operating on a similar scale, right? A, a relatively tight-knit crew, one creature... Um, that's tormenting the crew and that the crew is trying to kill it's pretty straightforward um alien they the crew is is um within one ship and even though the jungle sounds like a bigger space it actually feels kind of claustrophobic like mm -hmm. it doesn't feel like there's anywhere to run or hide right um, no and i think that that's because of how effective that heat vision is yeah Be because we we're almost shown this giant expanse it seems like and then we're shown this super scary heat vision yeah that that's zoomed in yeah with you know little touches along like the sides of that thermal vision that like i don't know what that means and and i i that's what i love about it yeah, right i don't want to know exactly I just want it to we'll be talk there. about that yeah. when we get to the predator yeah um but yeah, to me, it's just such a great combination of elements to sort of make up this creature, right? The technology with its sort of like animal-like reptilian or amphibian kind of qualities. Um, the Rastafarian dreads, I, you know, I, I noted that in my review. Like, it's just such a weird the sort spider -like of... spider-like mandibles. Yeah, it's just such a weird combination that like all kind of cohere and like make sense somehow yeah. like i just believe it um yeah i somehow believe that that thing is is absolutely on the hunt and terrorizing these and guys shane black agreed with you mm -hmm. <laughs> and he he explained it he explained it into the ground so one of the main things is um like that glow in the dark blood from predator mm. it seems like a weakness to me because if we're just going to compare creatures, mm. the alien has acid blood, dude. You mm. wound it. You die. You you at least get hurt or injured. And if, if you stab it, say goodbye to those fingers. Yeah, it's true. I mean, the the predator bleeding, right, makes it feel more human-like. Yeah. Um, and if it I, bleeds, I do think it can die it or it, we can kill it. It's a more human creature that's relying on uh, 
tools and technology to survive. And that's why I think Alien is scarier because it doesn't need what we need. Yeah. And I think that mm-hmm. that makes the Predator kind of more similar because, you know, it's a it's a bipedal creature that is using these tools, whereas yeah. Alien goes through these various stages of gestation and being an egg yeah. and a face hugger and then taking over a bipedal creature and then bursting out of its chest and yeah. um, assuming its exoskeleton on the outside of the body. Um, and, and it's just so sexual that yeah. it's scary. Yeah. And that just comes out of H.R. Geiger as an artist um, yeah. in a way that that just I, I find really intriguing to think about. I, I just continue. Yeah. Sometimes I'll just take time to think about H.R. Geiger as an artist. Um, and I, that's just more, you, you know, that's not really a fair comparison maybe between the Predator and the Alien if you're just going to compare the two. But mm. I, I just have more... Um, love and appreciation that I've spent on H.R. Geiger as an artist and his yeah. creation of the aliens. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not really a uh, like a worthwhile debate because I love both creatures, right? It was just a, a, a comparison that I couldn't help but make. Um, well, it's a debate we're having. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, one thing I love about about the alien that you don't get with the predator is that you can almost hear what it feels like. You know, you hear it's sort of like sliminess and it's gooiness you know the sound design in alien is what i really remember i remember um oh who's the guy from paris texas who's also in harry dean stanton harry dean stanton when he's off looking for the cat mm-hmm. walking alone throughout the ship and he picks up the wet you know skin that's fallen off the alien you you know you get that tactile sense through sound yes um there isn't as much i think going on there in predator it's all visual um, well, I, you get some gunfire, you know, but um, there's sort of like a well-rounded use of um, cinematic elements to give you a sense of what the alien is actually like. Yeah. I, I think that maybe um, the absence of sound is what's so intriguing about the Predator, though. Mm. That it is silent, that it is swift. Mm. That you yeah. hear the trees rustle from its weight, but you don't That's hear true. it yeah. um, scrape against the tree. Yeah. So it's kind of cat-like. Yeah, it's so nimble up there. And that mm-hmm. was terrifying, yes. right? It's crazy. Like, you can talk about how far technology has come, but, like, to me, this came out in 1987. I still find this very effective. Oh, my God. Okay, so it looks better than The Predator, right? Oh, totally. 100%. The explosions are roughly 9 billion times better. They're great. They don't look CG at all. They just yeah. look fucking awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I think this was like an $18 million budget or something in 1987. Yeah. And I think all of it went into those explosions in Arnold's paycheck so that yeah, he could afford yeah. enough food to keep tacking on that muscle. Yeah, I believe it. I mean, I, I cannot imagine that any of the effects with the Predator itself cost that much. Well, it's got an $88 million budget. Oh, I mean, the Predator, the creature in the 87 Predator, not uh, the new Predator. In the Sorry. film Predator, not Correct. the film The Predator. Yeah, gotcha. yeah, just completely agreeing that, like, I think you're right. Most of that money probably goes to the hostage scene where they actually yeah. attack this gorilla camp. We, we might have to do, like, a sub-episode where we just have fun with some sci-fi. Just go yeah. over some blind spots. Um, I haven't really done any sci-fi. Cause have you done Predators? No, I haven't. I really want to watch Predators right now because the Predator was such a letdown. And I think mm. that you might find it gripping and... It might be your favorite, like, Adrian Brody performance, which yeah. you would not expect it to be in an action film, but it very well could be. 
throw that in with um prometheus and maybe identify mm. a few more sci-fi films that and, could be uh, fun we might have a a little sci-fi theme uh if we so choose that would be fun yeah i haven't listened to it yet but i think i saw on twitter that josh larson actually prefers predators to predator yeah he's right? just like me you agree you like that one even better um i don't know now because i haven't seen predator when i saw predators i thought that it was amazing and i thought that there's no way that the other ones could have um beat it because i'd seen avp more recently mm-hmm. but now that i've seen predator recently i really do wonder um be, because i liked predators so much that it, yep. it's a legitimate thing that i'm i'm wondering you know because it's to me in the back of my head it's a four and a half yeah 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 i mean it, i'm not gonna lie it's tempting to me just to give it the extra half star like i kind of just want to give it the five because i had that much fun with it i um, think that if it doesn't um degrade in quality when 2020 rolls around i'll mm-hmm. bump it up to a five because it'll be over 20 years you know yeah right now it's already over 20 years but this is my first revisit yeah so i, I think you Takes just kind of gotta, gotta get there gotta give it give it, it time and space. A little bit. yeah yeah it's kind of like uh, I, I don't know if fantasia would have been a perfect five if i was alive right when it came out yeah but the distance of time and how it's aging i, I think that yeah. um part of why predator is so good is how well it's aging yeah like those explosions i seem tactile like i could feel them they seem to affect the area they seem to change people's skin um when people were shot it was very believable that they were shot and dying or that jesse the body ventura did not in fact have time to bleed but yeah. he did in fact need to dodge out of the way of the falling hillside yeah um it seems like those dangling dead bodies that were skinned mm. were really dangling bloody dead yeah. bodies that were skinned and that um the tracker really was startled by them like everything yeah. was so believable and yeah, he's so so lean and 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 uh it just you'd feel it yeah 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 i feel like uh the, the the direction that action movies have taken is just um bigger and larger in stakes um yeah. i just love the scale of this movie um one bad guy a small group of people that shrinks over the course of the movie um dwindling yeah yeah and it ultimately becomes a duel mm-hmm. a one-on-one fight and the Where stakes the trap are is really uh, faint <laughs> yeah yeah the, the stakes don't need to be um large in the script to to feel like they're large you know um yeah i mean well we'll talk a little bit more about this when we get to the predator but it's a should, fun movie should we uh just kind of highlight who um the folks kind of behind the main parts are director writer cinematographer yeah we'll go for it. uh so it's directed by john mctiernan who made a film i really liked with antonio banderas called the 13th warrior never saw that one but he's also known for the hunt for red october die hard one and two and the last action hero another arnold film yeah that one i haven't seen uh written by Jin and john thomas of uh alien versus predator predator 2 as well as executive decision which i have not seen i haven't even heard of that one i what's his name um kate hudson's stepdad know that. um you know kurt something or other mustache roadhouse kurt russell yeah is that him yeah oh it's a kurt it. russell movie cinematographer is donald mcalpine of uh 
Moulin Rouge, Ender's Game, Anger Management, Mrs. Doubtfire, Romeo and Juliet, Patriot Games, Clear and Present Danger. He's got some Jack Ryan movies under his belt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I don't think... Uh, I'm trying to remember any you know particular cine- cinematographic flourishes that I really liked. I, I don't know that anything's coming to mind, but I think that the camera just does what it needs to do. Yeah, I think um, it's an absence of flourish. Yeah, yeah. It's gritty. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he really lets the characters sort of fill out the frame, lets, you know, this... Um, so it lets these practical effects kind of do the work mm-hmm. um, and lets the camera sort of um, just do what it needs to do. And the most useful practical effect is Arnold's body. I yes. think we all agree. <laughs> yes. His biceps. Yep. Smear some mud on them. They're invisible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Bullshit. <laughs> yep. Shall we uh, move on to the uh, latest entry in the franchise? Navigate to the Predator. Why are you here? I don't think you believe me. Come on, man. I had a run in with a space engine. I'm out! This fucking guy is crazier than the rest of us. <laughs> Absolutely terrible film directed by Shane Black. One of my um, favorite films recently is a film by him called The Nice Guys with Ryan Gosling. And. This is just a piece of trash. Plain it's and pretty simple. Pretty bad movie. Uh, Shane Black was also a small character who uh, wore glasses in the previous film. So, you know, leading up to this movie, I thought it, it was a nice idea. And then I began to understand that Olivia Munn was going to be a main character. Mm-hmm. Um, and that someone named Boyd Holbrook was also going to be a main character. Um, and I really wondered who was making these choices how these choices were being made and who the fuck would greenlight something with Olivia Munn and Boyd Holbrook as the leads name one movie that was successful critically that Olivia Munn was a lead in ooh that's you cannot that's tough that is a fact there has not been a critically successful film that she was a lead character yeah not off to a good start. No, this is a fucking terrible movie. It only gets yeah. worse. Yeah. Uh, Boyd Holbrook, I thought, maybe had potential. He was the bad guy in Logan, right? Which a lot of people loved. Um, yeah, I think that if he is good, it's not when he is asked to do what we were talking about earlier with Army Hammer and um, mm. Ryan Gosling. It's yeah. not when he's talking and attempting to communicate this expository dialogue. Yeah. I think he could have been good if they didn't need to continuously tell us exposition. Yeah. Um, another huge problem with this movie is I I don't even remember him now, but I counted six continuity errors while I was watching it. Yeah, not um, good. And I, I'm aware that they cut uh, a huge scene out where Olivia Munn's like arrested by the police and gets rescued because Shane Black had hired someone who had a sexual offense charge at some point yeah. in the past. So we're missing what feels like 45 minutes probably from the film yeah but we're we're missing a huge scene where they had been arrested mm, yeah by the cops in this town yeah we get none of that but we do get um the fellow from moonlight showing Monte up in a Rose. cop car yeah out of nowhere he's just in a cop car now yeah yeah it's just the whole movie just falls apart it's all cg it's all bullshit 
the only things that feel real are Sterling K. Brown and Keegan-Michael Key for me. Yeah. Because, you know, Keegan-Michael Key, I, I just always love his um, persona yeah. and his comedic uh, timing and, and behavior. Yeah. No matter how preposterous the character is, it always feels like it's part of a Key and Peele sketch, so I'm kind of yeah. grounded. Uh, I don't think other people were, but for me, he really worked. And then Sterling yep. K. Brown feels like he's straight out of Predator. He's really trying here. Dude, he's working his ass off. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, come on, guys, let's Why do this. Why is no one else doing their job? Yeah, it's painful. Um, yeah, kind of along that same vein of sort of seeing the seams and how this is put together. I think I also read that they, um, after early previews were not good, went back and, and shot reshot the ending. Um, after the uh, the spaceship crashes towards the end, and Boyd Holbrook kind of has this one to one duel, you know, with the Predator, um, that was all reshot months later. Um, you know, after initial production had uh, finished. The part where Olivia Munn turns invisible or whatever. Yeah, I think she was invisible. You know, Boyd Holbrook, Travante Rhodes, they all jump on the spaceship and they take it down. And then all of a sudden, we're kind of in the jungle. Well, Travante Rhodes jumps into the engine. Yeah. Um, and then the the kid that made the unicorn, the foil unicorn, gets his legs cut off and slides off the shield. And then Boyd Holbrook makes it like inside or whatever. Yeah. And then yeah. he conveniently latches onto the grate. You know, it's just. Yeah. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. You know where the reshoot started, but the article I read was was describing that scene as having been um, tacked on all months right. later. I'm after... going to challenge you. Mm. Compliment this movie. Uh, I actually think pacing wise, it was fine. I mean, I think there were, I think there have been harder sits for me this year. Um, I didn't like anything that it was doing, but at least it was just kind of moving along, um, pace wise. Um, but it was still but too long, right? Oh, it's absolutely too long. I mean, it's a full two hours, I think, right? Uh, I just we don't know need it's that. too long. Yeah. Um, there is plenty to hate on in this movie, so... I don't feel the need to pick the youngest member of the cast and target him. So I won't even go there. But I do think you could just take his character out entirely. That is just so unnecessary. I don't think this movie benefits at all from that character or his relationship. No, that, that's to why the I was story. asking who you think's making these casting choices. Because it, it seems like it's someone using a fucking formula. Yeah. Like, oh, if we get Jacob Tremblay from the room, then we're going to get this audience and if we get Yvonne Strahovski then we're going to get the the Handmaid's Tale audience and if we get Olivia Munn we're going to get the G4 horny teenager audience yeah if we get Boyd Holbrook then no one's going to judge him and if we get Keegan-Michael Key we'll get this audience and if we get Thomas Jane we'll get the audience that remembers how good the original uh 2004 I think Punisher was yeah and if we get this guy then and if we get this guy and if we get Sterling <laughs> K. Brown then we'll have the people from This Is Us yeah you know it's just the whole thing sucks yeah it feels like it was made by an algorithm like i don't feel shane black's voice coming through at all Mm. um and that's what's weird is the nice guys is such a a narrow focused thing similar to the predator or predator rather um there's a fly fruit flies attacking me (laughs) um so the nice guys is really grounded it's kind of um there's a girl missing classic noir yeah figure out who who she is where she is how she is whether or not she was in the sex video right 
Yeah. This is just normal, noir, hardcore, 1970s feeling. Um, what's his name again? Paul Schrader. Mm, Paul yeah. Schrader type of a, a screenplay. Yeah. And it's just kind of a slapstick comedy, really grounded. All the, any action has a reaction. Any um, shot or amount of pain has clear consequences. Mm-hmm. And this is none of that. It's super broad, super huge. It seems like nothing has any consequence, right? They uh, they attack federal officers. They like it's uh, she shoots herself in the foot. It it just it falls apart. <laughs> it yeah, fall, it fell apart when it started. Yeah, I leaned over and I said some one liners to you at the beginning, and to be honest, those are my favorite parts of the movie. When I was talking yeah. to you and I was laughing. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't even two <laughs> minutes into the film, and we both kind of, I think, kind of looked at each other and were like, uh-oh, yep. this we, isn't going to be good. We each slumped over to either side of our reclining chair, Yeah, uh, nestled our chin into our palm, and uh, attempted to keep it lifted for two hours. Yeah, yeah, which is hard. Like, within two minutes of the movie, I was not excited about what I was seeing. You know, we're... We're looking at the Predator immediately, and it's spaceship as it's coming to Earth. Um, Which is to... exactly how Predator opens. So That's okay. So at that okay. point, I yeah. was like, awesome. What an homage. And then from then on, no. Yeah, that was okay. And then we kind of go in the spaceship, and we're looking at it already. Mm-hmm. Um, I was kind of trying to recalibrate my expectations and think, like, okay, like this might be just ditching the, the formulaic suspense approach and trying to just give us a steadier dose of excitement that's not what i want but i gotta like try to meet it on its own terms yep and then it's really the only movie this year that made me want to kind of just plug my ears and go la 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 because it kept telling me things i didn't want to know um everything that was mysterious about this creature that made it so kind of uh disconcerting he tries to explain away Mm -hmm. you know from why it's human-like to what the dreads are for to why Wait, they're they on earth what the dreads are for they don't explain it in great detail but she goes um oh i think that's how it's sensing uh heat and i'm like really don't even comment on it just let it be i think i was so i i was just in a different frame of mind yeah and that went right over me yeah she says some some character goes what do you think the dreads are for and she goes i think they're Heat receptors or oh, sensory like receptors, bus, maybe. Yeah, I don't remember when the it was. The bus got so busy that I was just trying to like focus on performances and see if I could find redeeming qualities. So I started yeah. tuning out dialogue and focus because I think that Thomas Jane wasn't bad uh, in his role. I just think that that's a fucking terrible screenplay. Yeah, you know what I mean. Oh, it's bad. Um, yeah, just this the steady deluge of answers to questions that I didn't want it answered. Um, just felt like it was spoiling the fun. I'm like, this, this is, this is not of interest to me. But it, um, you understand why they're doing it. Yeah, totally. Like, through in a way, million it's dollars like, at it, and they want to, they want a film franchise. Yeah. In hindsight, in right, it's like, why didn't I expect this? Why did I even have my hopes up? I <laughs> this makes think, total sense. I don't think I expected it because I don't, I, I don't think of Shane Black as that director. Mm, yeah. Um. Other than Iron Man 3, when he was very clearly asked by a huge studio to come in and make a serviceable entry and yeah. a long-running series. Um, 
so that he could go on to to do his own projects. You know, you think about Shane Black, you think about Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. I think about The Nice Guys. Or you think about him as a screenwriter, perhaps. Yeah, Lethal Weapon. That's what a lot of people like, right? Um, I I didn't expect that. I thought we were going to get kind of, um, you you know, more of what Thomas Jane and Keegan-Michael Key had just between two leads. I thought it was going to, you know, take the entire cast boil it down yeah. to two characters and that banter that those two had that's what i thought we were going to get i thought we were yeah. going to get that same ryan gosling russell crowe banter yeah nice guys that uh pain was going to happen that they were going to shrug it off and, and laugh and smile about it and yeah. continue gunning down or chasing or doing whatever the plot was asking i didn't think we were going to get this huge franchise that was going to try to or huge franchise attempt was going to go from one side of the country to the other to the other to a different country and yeah. back with uh force fields and um terrible cg of uh explosions terrible cg blood terrible cg everything um yeah. uh, so many side characters you couldn't count them all um yeah. random dogs for grounding or or something um a bad performance out of y- Yvonne Strahovski somehow. You know, yeah. She's really not a bad actress, but when you ask her to um, have basically three minutes on camera. Who did she play? And only do exposition. She plays the estranged wife of Boyd Holbrook. Oh, yeah. Jacob gotcha. Tremblay's mother. Um, you're, you're just not doing her any favors. She kind of needs to be living in the world already. She can't be asked to define the world. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, you mentioned earlier that one of the Alien versus Predator movies was set in Antarctica. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I was trying to think Fishing about like or something. Yeah, I was trying to think about like what would I want for like a, a sequel to the original Predator. Like, I might want something really similar in scale, really singularly focused on sort of the suspense and action, but just kind of um, transposed into a different environment mm-hmm. with just a different texture, different kind of. Um, environmental problems so that actually idea that sounds okay it doesn't sound like it was a very good movie right i don't know that the crossover was needed but i I hear what you're saying and and for me i i'm kind of similar did you ever see a movie called 30 days of night yeah vampire movie i think that you do 30 days of night with predator yeah like in that alaskan um it's always daytime yeah you can't hide um all, all these buildings are are made out of really thin Material. There's this huge dark factory that's kind of looming. Yeah. I think that's like a perfect environment because you yeah. can't run anywhere. And yeah. if you do, you're against mm. ice. So the heat vision mm. works really well. You're against uh, yeah. really cold water, so you can't go that way. So yeah. you can either hide in these buildings and die, fight, yeah. or run and die. Yeah. I, th- yeah. I think that's very much the way that they should have gone. Yeah. Yeah. There would just be all kinds of directions you could take it. You know, you could you know focus on the temperature the light um just like in the jungle you know there are these little touches like that scorpion you know indicating that like they can't just stay out here forever like the jungle is a harsh environment Mm -hmm. like that is equally a problem that they need to get out of here other than the tracker Uh, he wouldn't die because he's cut he knows what he's doing he's he's (laughs) gonna be fine no matter what um he only dies because he wants to die exactly (laughs) um so my question is, earlier you brought up a comparison of Arnold to Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Oh, yeah. Do you think that instead of Boyd Holbrook, if Dwayne The Rock Johnson was the lead character, or I'll, I'll, I'll change mm-hmm. it up, if Dwayne The Rock Johnson or Jason Statham 
or the lead character? Yeah. Do you think it's a better movie? Oh, God, that's hard. Um, I do think I would have enjoyed watching Jason Statham go through some of these actions. Um, I would, too. Yeah, I would <laughs> I would put him first in line. Uh, I don't know that The Rock would do a whole lot for me here. I mean... I think some of the um, attempted emotional communication of father to son mm-hmm. that was attempted is a much better from Dwayne um, than it is from... Or, or would be much better from Dwayne than from Boyd. Because yeah. I, I think Dwayne is able to just sell things in a way mm. that very few actors are able to sell something that really is bullshit. Yeah. Like, he really can just smile. He's deli- smile his way out of it. Deliver yeah. this line, flex these pecs, and, and yeah. just get you going. Yeah. Yeah, that Jacob Tremblay character. I mean, you know, he's autistic right he's supposed mm-hmm. to be this, this brainiac kid he's the evolution of humans mm-hmm. um we get the soldiers with ptsd um you know these all feel like sort of conspicuous traits that like the movie's not really like engaging with um no. they all just feel kind of like indicators of like significance or something or it feels weight. like an hour and 15 um, minutes is missing yeah uh it just feel like and it i don't want to watch that together. version of it it's just no. that's how it feels no no two hours was, was plenty it's more than enough too long. <laughs> yes. Um, so yeah, like I said, like the only thing that kind of kept me going was that like it did get me laughing on a, mm-hmm. on a handful of occasions. Like thank God for Kiku Michael Key. Yep. Um, you know he had me laughing from time to time, and, and at Sterling's least, commitment. Yeah, he was he given had a it Sterling his all. Commitment. <laughs> yeah, and it just kind of moved along at at a brisk enough clip that I, I was kind of hanging in there. But you know. I have I have zero to desire to revisit it. I would not recommend it to anybody. Um, no, I would actually recommend you take however much a ticket costs. Yeah, you light it on fire. That's be about the a, same as... a better paced mm. and more entertaining way to spend that amount of time yeah. watching your money. Much more efficient. Yeah, yeah. Um, Olivia Munn, do you have any comments you want to make? Uh... I agree with you. She's not great, but like in a way, like I don't even find it like that exciting to think about who I would have rather. Oh no, it's, her a, role it's a terrible it's, role, right? It's just but like this I can is a tell script. you, I'd rather yeah. have uh, Emily Blunt play that role. I'd rather have Claire Foy play that role. I'd rather have Jennifer Lawrence play that role. Yeah, I'd rather have uh, Kate Blanchett in that role. I'd rather see Saoirse Ronan. Yeah, on and on and on. Yeah, it, it's like but ma- it's still ma- be any a of these. Role. Yeah, any of these women could have done it better but it would still just be bad yeah you know? it's, a, it's, it's a terribly it's, written role yeah it's, it's the screenwriter and director's screenplay. job to make sure all these people doing their hard work is in service of something good mm-hmm. um, there's nothing more frustrating than when you feel like a performance is really working and the rest of the movie is not you're yeah. like please like let this be for something um so that's why it's kind of hard for me to like put all the burden on any one person when it just feels like so much is not working. Mm-hmm. Um, so one thing that I think did really work, which is very challenging, is I think the cinematographer did a great job for what he was asked to do. And it's not his fault what they did to his images after he shot them. Yeah. That cinematographer is Larry Fong. Mm-hmm. He worked on Batman vs. Superman, Kong Skull Island, Zack Snyder's huge film, Watchmen, his other big one, 300, Super 8, as well as 
Snyder's other film, Sucker Punch, and then a, a kind of a smaller, really uh, well-earning film from Warner Brothers, Now You See Me. Yeah, the one I didn't see. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it was Pun really... Intended. Ah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think it was really a problem with how a lot of this action was shot. It was sort of just what was what the director chose to put in front of the camera. Um, less so with what the camera... Um, I, I think he tried doing. really hard, though. Yeah. Like, almost... It felt like he was trying too hard, but I think that that's more on mm. everyone after him gets a hold of it and assembles it and how it's edited. Yeah. I, you know, some of the ways that he sh- shows the, the dog being introduced or um, the the alien dogs, because he's shooting something that's not really there. Yeah. So I think I just the way that he's doing that or how he's following the cars or shooting those bus scenes that are really cramped yeah um you know he's he's doing it at bare minimum a serviceable job but i thought it was a pretty good job his uh what he's doing when they're on the spaceship trying to cling on and how he's trying to make you feel like they're actually dangling yeah i was always able to follow the action right sometimes you're just disoriented you're like i don't even know like where these people are in relation to each other because like it's 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 moving so quickly or something it wasn't disorienting it it just fucking sucked. And I think that's more on mm. CG. I think that's more on, um, you know, super over-expository dialogue going to so many different locations. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we already talked a little bit about how in the original, what was so affecting was, you know, how the the predator was moving through the trees, right? Um, so Which nimbly, is, it, it's um, highlight in this Yeah. Film. Yeah. Um, God, I remember one scene in particular just after the predator escapes from the facility and it's like charging down a ramp like mm-hmm. a wide receiver heading for the the uh, touchdown zone, yeah. and it just looked ridiculous. It's end zone. Okay. There it is. <laughs> end zone. Also go with the red zone. Whatever yeah. you want to call whatever it. Whatever you want to call it. Don't call um, it the touchdown zone. <laughs> <laughs> God, I just lost all of our football <laughs> listeners. Um, it just looked ridiculous. It just looked so clunky. It's like that guy is in a suit that doesn't fit well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, his arms are kind of like up at his chin level. Yeah, and he's running like <laughs> with his with his arms uh, parallel to his chin. It just it made no fucking sense. Somehow Olivia Munn was running faster than him and able to catch yeah. up to him. Um, it's just a fuck. It just sucks. It's just a bad movie. And you gave it the mm-hmm. wrong rating. Yeah, I know. I gave it the two just because I, I don't know why. Like, you know, it's weird. I felt like it, it had me laughing enough that I was like, like I, I feel a little phony hating on it I when it got I me laughing. More than you. Yeah, yeah, you did. But a two um, hour, that, that's like if a 45 minute um, comedy special yeah. only got you to laugh as many times as you laughed in two hours of The Predator, yeah. you wouldn't give it a good review. Yeah. So if something's more than double that and its genre isn't even comedy, yeah. that's not a good enough excuse. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess I was trying to think about the person who never saw The Predator, who hasn't seen it in, you know, 20 years and is um, just coming in uh, a little bit more with a blank slate than I was and is maybe a little bit more willing to just meet this movie on its own terms and kind of get on its sort of wave wavelength about self-awareness and okay. what pace. Did, what did um, you give the uh, Avengers Infinity War film? Give that a two as well. I thought you gave it a one and a half. 
so that defeats the purpose of my comment oh. but uh, <laughs> I, I i think that something like avengers infinity war reaches to the the older audience and the younger audience equally uh mm. is just as shiny has much better special effects yeah more grounding more impact for hits i know that you complained about how you don't really know when a punch is a punch mm-hmm. but i think in this movie it's a lot harder to tell mm. because yeah. with within the stargazer facility before he exits uh that small predator is able to just use his index fingers nail to rip mm. people's faces off yeah when we get outside the facility and he has his head crushed yeah by the the larger predator whatever it's called hunter predator maybe yeah um that hunter predator has a billion chances to kill all our characters with just a nail if he just would have reached out with his nail to touch those characters and he had many opportunities they would have instantly Mm. died yeah doesn't happen so for for me it's just continuity error um and believe like there's no lack or there's a huge lack of believability and whether or not he really wants to do these actions yeah yeah and why someone's alive at any given point in time or how they got in a cop car why are they here or why did why did any of this have to happen this way yeah yeah i did i did give this the same score as avengers infinity war two stars for both but uh, I think I would pretty confidently say that I think Avengers is the better movie. I just kind of, my, my my passion for both ended up kind of being about the same, just for completely different reasons, right? I just saw The Predator, the original, loved it. This was a major letdown. Avengers Infinity War, I can kind of see the appeal, but I can't connect with it at all because I haven't seen it. So for me, it's it's a two, like I, I can't get excited about it. Um, so it's, it's, it's kind of a weird comparison. Um, but um, yeah. The Predator, not recommended by this podcast. No, avoid it at all costs. Burn your money. Yeah. Uh, also, there's a film called A Simple Favor out. They mm. would love to have you as an audience. There's another film out called White Boy Rick. They would mm. also love to have you. So yeah. go spend your money on those. Yeah, we're recommending that one sight unseen. We haven't even seen it yet. No, nope. it's definitely better than this movie, though. Hopefully we don't have to retract that statement. There's no way it's worse. <laughs> I think that's It's got Matthew McConaughey. It's good for two and a half. Should be a safe bet. Bruce Stern, yeah. it's up to a three already. We're good. Um, so we're going to go to Sex, Lies, and Videotape, a film by Steven Soderbergh, directed and written by. I think that we are going to take a brief break and refill our Oktoberfest from Hellbent, though. Class number two. What kind of personal project? Uh, a personal project like anyone else's personal project. Mine's just a little more personal, I guess. (laughs) Isn't this how you get off or something? Taping women talking about their sexual experiences? Yes. Would anyone else see the tape? Absolutely not. Nobody else sees the tapes except for me. How do we start? And we are back with Steven Soderbergh's Sex, Lies, and Videotape written and directed by him cinematography by walt lloyd who also teamed up with him for a film with jeremy irons called kafka a big film that i've never seen featuring robert downey jr in shortcuts and a film i've never heard of or seen called pump up the volume that's right uh soderbergh's debut film Mm -hmm. um kind of an interesting one 
you know, cinema history perspective, because mm-hmm. um, it was such a big um, film from the, you know, kind of 90s independent cinema Yeah, th- this kind of joined with Tarantino, Rodriguez, and Kevin Smith. Yeah. And they're kind of the four golden boys at this point in time. Yeah. Between Clerks, Sex Lies, Video Tape, uh, Reservoir Dogs, and El Mariachi. Is that the first film from Rodriguez? I don't think I've seen that one. But yeah. Oh, we we mm. will fit that in. Mm. Don't you worry. When Alita Battle Angel comes, mm. there you I, go. I will make you watch that. Mm. We'll get some Spy Kids in. Ooh. And we can watch some Machete. Spy Kids. I haven't seen that one in a long I time. I love Spy mm. Kids, dude. Yeah. Uh, infamously beat uh, Do the Right Thing at Cannes for the Palm Door. I just kind of recently remembered that um, when Did I was on the really? Wikipedia page. Yeah. Um, I don't think that it deserves that. I agree. Great movie. Great movie. But that is a uh, competitive festival. Do the Right Thing is a very special film. And I think that as time goes on, maybe that's what makes it better. I don't think Sex, Lies, and Videotape is getting better with age. Mm, Yeah. I don't think it's decaying Mm. either. But I do think Do the Right Thing is one of those rare films that gets better with age. Yeah. Yeah. That seems to only become somehow more relevant Mm -hmm. and more affecting. Uh, Similar Um, to Fantasia. Again. mm, Yeah. Um yeah, I also think about this one as, you know, the film that kind of put Sundance on the map as, you know, the festival for distributors to turn to. Um, there was a book I read a couple of years ago called uh, Down and Dirty Pictures. Have you ever heard of that one? Um, it's kind of about, uh, I think the full title is Down and Dirty Pictures, the story of Sundance, Miramax, and I have heard 90s of that. independent yes, cinema, yes, yes, something okay, like that. I have heard of that. Um, uh through back channels on like Twitter or something, or maybe like a Kevin Smith um, podcast, yeah. Fat Man yeah. and Batman or something. It has, you know, it is, it has its critics for sure, because I think some people think it's too gossipy. It's a little bit too singular and kind of like its perspective, a lot of focus on kind of, you know, the, the men of that period, a lot of directors mm-hmm. that it leaves out. Um, but it talks a lot about sexualized and videotape and it kind of being the first example of, um, what the Weinsteins could do, right? Getting yeah. one of these independent movies to cross over um, to the mainstream. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, what they did with Lord of the Rings was very unprecedented mm, at that time. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, the movie itself. I absolutely love this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we should just take a beat here and say we are entirely against Harvey Weinstein. Correct. And that's all we have to say on that. Anti-Weinstein, 100%. Pro sex lies and videotape. Absolutely. Um, You know me Mm -hmm. as Soder Boy. That's correct. This film does not at all take away from my Soder Boyness. It doesn't Mm -hmm. really increase it. It's just like, yeah, he's had it all along. What's new? Yeah. It was more fascinating to see his evolution, I guess. Yeah. Um, This certainly made me think about some of the similarities to Unsane. And mm. how he is using in a, a a wholly original representation to tell a story, um, mm. right? He's using v- videotapes yeah. to communicate the story yeah. um, and to move along at the climax. That's yeah. that's how the transition takes place in um, what's his name from the OC? Uh, shoot, Peter Gallagher. Oh yeah, Peter Gallagher. Yeah, plays the sleaze bag. Yeah, um, that that's. You know he's he's communicated into this tran- transition by the videotapes. Um, 
and I, I think that that's a very interesting um, foil or, or, mm. or way of, of deriving a screenplay. Yeah. It's almost like that's the idea you have first, and then you figure out how you get there. Yeah, fill um, in the rest as you go. Yeah, yeah I, I loved it. And once again, we get to see uh, Margaret Qualley's mother. That's right, Andy McDowell. Ah, yep. you agree this time. <laughs> I do. We're on the same page at this point. Yeah. Um, I just really connect with all these characters. Like, they all just feel so fully realized. I never feel like I'm seeing the actors. I feel like I'm seeing the characters from mm-hmm. start to finish. Um, we talked about Andy McDowell when we watched Love After Love mm-hmm. earlier this year. I also watched Groundhog Day for the first time earlier this yeah, I month. Yeah, I saw that you watched that for the first yeah. time, which I thought was really, really funny that it wasn't long to you watch. I was like, oh, what the yeah. fuck? <laughs> yeah, I'd never seen it. Um, so, you know, she's an actress that until this year, like, I don't think I even could have told you her name had I seen mm-hmm. her picture. Um, I really like Andy McDowell, apparently. No, she's really good. Let, Gosh, let me just yeah. uh, digress for a second. Yeah. Uh, Happy Death Day or Groundhog Day? Groundhog Day. Okay. Yeah. You? Same. I just, I wondered for someone that mm. hadn't seen it first, perhaps. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. No, uh, uh, Bill Murray is Bill Murray. Absolutely. That is just a fact. Mm-hmm. Movies with Bill Murray are often better. The exception is Isle of Dogs. Ooh. Fact. We're just going to need to revisit that movie. Not fiction. <laughs> Not stranger than fiction, either. Um, yeah, um... I, I loved her here. Um, I was uh, disarmed by her. I felt like um, every line that came out of her mouth, I believed. Um, it's this weird um, exuding of sexuality and sexiness that she doesn't want to be sexy or she doesn't feel comfortable being sexy. She she questions her own sexuality. Um, yeah. She's talking about... Um, not having an orgasm and she asks James Spader at one point if he would give her one and it's really intimate but it's also yeah. really innocent yeah um and it, it the way that she goes oh yeah I'm just being silly mm-hmm. um plays really well into a simple favor which we'll get to after this yeah yeah um but when she finds that earring you know you feel for her yeah uh, mm, it's yeah it's just a special movie that I think is from an innocent filmmaker that hasn't been scorned yet or been burned mm. by the industry or or been fucked with on a budget. It just feels yeah. very uh, innocent and very first time, and it's something that's kind of irreplicable. Yeah. And what's really interesting for me is I grew up with this movie. I, I would watch it um, as little kids watch things, which is barely. Yeah. You know, like it would just be on. Uh, my dad had gotten it from the we basically got a bunch of vhs's from the pawn shop we just Mm, always accumulate them and at some point he got this and so i I remember parts of it but i don't really remember it and i remember it being on but you know the things that i would vote the only thing that could really get me to sit down is like indiana jones yeah yeah you know um maybe cocoon from ron howard Mm. things that that are really uh emotionally gripping to to a child yeah I was just astounded that something like this could have such a broad audience at that point in time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Yeah, it is fascinating to think about if this came out now, would this still have the crossover appeal that it achieved? Yeah. Um, Did did either of your parents watch this? 
I don't think so. I've never talked to my parents about this movie. I've never heard them mention it. I kind of doubt they've seen it. Um, it's possible. Um, I think I think both my parents would like this movie, though, um, because these characters feel so rich. I mean, I, yeah. I think it is just something about how... It's a how... weirdly approachable movie, kind yeah. of, for... I, I think it's just adults. I don't know that mm-hmm. there's an age gap to it. Yeah. Maybe, you know, over 70 just because people mm-hmm. at that point in time might be a little bit more um, restrictive about expressions of sexuality. Yeah. Which is understandable in, in how they grew up. But I, I think that just kind of that younger generation, just before them and, and down to us, is it, it just works on that wavelength. Yeah, just you know, a, a pretty simple narrative. In a way, in a way, I think it has become even you know more relevant if you're kind of just focused on the idea about you know a character achieving. Or, or seeking intimacy through a screen, like, well, that feels as resonant now as ever. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, it's it Like, it, it seems weirdly forward-thinking, actually, to mm-hmm. have been released in 1989. The, the dynamics between the characters, uh, they just feel really um, fully realized. James Spader, you know, when he's looking at these women, if you read this description of the character, it would sound so creepy and... You know, I could see how someone might get that, but to me, there's also like just this genuine curiosity when he's listening to Annie McDowell talk about her, you know, sexual experience and her and her sort of desires and nerves. That to me is really moving. Like it, like you just see in his eyes how badly like he kind of wants to understand people mm-hmm. um, and connect with them. Um, no, I think him and Andy are very similar as characters. Mm-hmm. You know, they're in separate veins because Andy's with the the boy still that she fell in love with but he's estranged from the woman that he fell in love with yeah and now he's behaving as if he's married um and attempting to reconcile his um problems and andy's attempting to reconcile her problems i believe that um she's at a therapist yeah right um this will come back and dress to kill as well but Mm -hmm. she she is attempting to solve these problems um so they're each attempting and what's interesting is the estrangement of the male characters. Yeah. The closeness of the female characters. Yeah. And then how they swip swap. Yeah. How Andy and James Spader become close. And how um, Peter Gallagher and what, do you know what that girl, Linda, no, it's not Linda Cardellini. Something Shit. Giancomo. Um, I looked this up because I knew we would talk about her and I forgot. Fool. I looked it up too and I almost forgot. <laughs> Laura Sangia Como. Yes, and this was her biggest role until um Just Shoot Me with David Spade in mm. the mid nineties, which was a great television show. Yeah. Um so they swip swap and be become uh her and Peter Gallher become closer as mm. characters, but they don't become closer together as people. Yeah. And I I think that um, James Spader and Andy McDowell become more defined separate identities of characters mm. but become more intimate Yeah, and I think that's a you know I don't know that he knew what he was doing when he made it but yeah. I think that it's a fascinating thing to watch develop on a screen yeah. and in a story yeah yeah uh, yeah I love the scene with her Laura San Giacomo after she goes over to James Spader's house to record 
mm-hmm. with him. And then, you know, immediately after that has, like, the best sex of her life with Peter Gallagher. It's like, what got her going more than anything was just talking. Yes. Right? Just being with this guy. Yeah. Who, when, showing when an interest all, in her. she's all sweaty and we get that close up and of her ecstasy. Yeah. 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 Up until then, you, you know, you think that all of this excitement in their relationship has come from maybe the secrecy of it or just the intensity of it but what what ends up you know sort of exciting her most is just a conversation with somebody who's talking listening about her to sexuality her. um yeah. and being heard yeah um yeah great scene um when james spader and Andy mcdowell are you know going out to lunch together at first and that's when he tells her that she, he's impotent um and she's you know kind of withdrawn and uncomfortable but she's also you know kind of like playing with her wine glass um it's really sexual but like without her even knowing it mm-hmm. um just a great you know physical touch that's just drawing your eye throughout it's the whole sequence yeah, yeah yeah um just a lot a lot of really simple moments that are that are really outsized in their impact for what they are um yeah, it's great stuff. Mm-hmm. I, I love it. I, yeah. I, I mean, we could talk about things I like about it all day. I, yeah. I don't really have any criticism for it. Yeah. Uh, it's a perfect five for me with the heart. Yeah. You gave it a perfect five as well? I did. Um, heart? No heart? I did give it the heart. Okay. Um, you know, I, I could see people, I, I think I've, I've seen some people think that the ending was a little too tidy. Um, what was the ending? James Spader and Andy McDowell ending up together kind of like they do um, on the front porch of a what looks like a new house, perhaps. Um, to me, it's a, it's a quibble. Like, yeah. I don't know. It, it just doesn't you, bother me much. How do much. you want it to end? I'm fine with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, perfect fives from both of us. I think this is the... Is this the first perfect five from both of us since we started the podcast? It might be. I wouldn't be surprised that Soderbergh's the first one to yeah. get us there, though. I love it. And just have Soderbergh. Yeah. Simple favor. Let's do it. I warn you, you go poking around in her past, you're going to find something that is terrifying. She was not a normal person like you or me. I've never seen such a beautiful girl want to be so invisible. I smell her, Sean. I smell her perfume like a ghost. Yeah, it's just you being paranoid. She told me to say hi to Stephanie. Let's get to a simple favor with Paul Feig, Blake Lively, Anna Kendrick, Henry Goldie. Absolutely. New release, in case people haven't seen it, just a simple plot description. Anna Kendrick plays a single mother mm-hmm. who is Brother a... <laughs> she is that. She is also <laughs> a video blogger, also known as a vlogger. Mm-hmm. Who we might need to get in that game soon. It's very yeah. We 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 can get into vlogging. We could. Those eight <laughs> F film reviews. They they might be coming sooner than we want. Yeah. Who befriends Blake Lively's character, the mother of another boy at her son's school, who goes missing. Uh, is she going by Emily? That's right. And then she's really called Hope. And is that correct? And there's also Faith and Grace. That's a great good question. I don't remember which name she actually had i think she's hope because i think the the other one is faith yeah and then i think grace is the heart on the flame oh shit (laughs) 
Yeah, fuck. So it's not Grace, it's Charity. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Key detail, man. Key. <laughs> we should have read the book. Yeah. Um, I loved this movie. I had such I a good time. Mm. I did a double feature. I saw The Predator first, and then I saw this. Mm. And when I bought my ticket, I was the only person that had one. Wow. And when I wow. got in there, it was like three quarters full for this 10 p.m. showing on a Thursday night. It's awesome. It was great. Uh, everyone was laughing or um, holding back laughs at lines mm. like Brotherfucker. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the scenes uh, with the mother were getting oohs mm. and ahs or the shotgun toting um, stepfather. Yeah. We're, we're getting um, people riding in their seats and squirming. It was just a yeah. great crowd pleaser. Yeah. 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 The uh, the house I saw it in was, was pretty packed as well. People were loving it. People were laughing. People were gasping. Everyone seemed to be having a good time. Um, and I did as well. Um, lots of twists and turns, most of which I didn't really see coming. I thought it went a little slack kind of in the third quarter. A lot um, of people think that. I, I didn't think that i thought that we were getting kind of our our comeuppance we mm. we needed to experience that yeah yeah not a huge deal um i think it ends uh on a peak on a high note mm-hmm. um i think it, it it does cross the finish line on a, on a strong note prius um, silent but deadly great oh i was laughing everybody was laughing uh as blake lively's crawling towards anna kendrick uh or crawling towards the guy i guess super funny um i really like anna kendrick in this mm-hmm. movie uh, i don't think this is like a real change of pace for her i think this is just a character that she can do super well yes um and i had a lot of fun with it um i like the style of the film that french pop music um i think sort of just oozes with the sexuality that that we're getting from all these other you know um things in the narrative itself Henry Golding, I'm still not quite sold on. I liked him a little better here than I think I did in Crazy Rich Asians. But, um, you know, one thing that I had a little bit of trouble with, and this was really just kind of distracting for me, was trying to imagine him as this writing professor that he is said to be. To me, this happens... Yeah, review, I think. Yeah. Yeah. This happens sometimes with certain characters. Their behavior is fine. How they kind of carry themselves is fine. But then they're we're told that they have these certain traits or things that they that they do that I just can't quite picture, and yeah. that kind of distracts. No, I, um, I get it. Uh, Henry Golding was a lot better here for me as a character, yeah. but if we're going to talk about who this character is in this world, mm-hmm. I absolutely agree. Total bullshit. Just like Constance Wu. Not a chance in the world that she's a game theory teacher at, yeah. a, at yeah. whatever university that was in Crazy Rich Asians. Yeah. Um, that, that's its weakness, though. Yeah. the real world stakes but when these characters are interacting with each other it's great and they're just those characters yeah it just oozes sexy and magnetism yeah. and compatibility and tension yeah. and pleasure and leisure and just i mm-hmm. i loved it i had such a great time yeah i thought i was gonna have a hard mm-hmm. time staying awake i got in there and and was like all right we're staying up till Till over after midnight, Taylor. Yep. We're we're gonna get going. And um from that first intro, I was like, Oh, this is gonna be better than searching. Oh yeah. Fantastic. 
absolutely <laughs> by a, a long but shot. But like that opening vlog where they show us mm. the desktop sequence of her, of her talking into the thing, I was like, yeah. oh, this is why searching sucked. <laughs> yeah, yes, super great use of that. That was all uh, really fun. Um, man, some of the costumes here, like. Ooh. Some of what Blake Lively's wearing, I think, is ridiculous, and I love it. Oh, it's so it's, it's so over the top because it's so sexy. This girl in a suit with this like pocket watch. And yeah, she looks like she should be watch. running the Monopoly game yeah. or something. <laughs> but it's like it's just hot. Yeah, and that the uh, the dresses that she has, especially that dress at the end, it like mm. challenges almost my view on sexuality mm-hmm. because I did find it so beautiful. But it yeah. was so startling to her previous outfits that it, you know, it does kind of address how fashion is a depiction of, of masculinity or femininity, which I thought mm. was interesting to tie into McQueen um, earlier this year. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I've seen some people say that the, that the kind of tonal shifts didn't work for him. To me, I thought it worked fine. Like when did a, the tone shift? In a way, and maybe it's more like the, these kind of different tones being felt simultaneously yeah, right it's like, sexy murderous comedy yeah like some people i think were maybe just surprised by it right like i don't think many people knew a lot about this film going into it right mm-hmm. um the trailer was was uh kind of elusive yeah. like about the plot um well i based on the trailer i was like dude this is gonna be the same fucking plot as gemini it's gonna suck mm, yeah I was oh yeah we so talked about happy that. to be wrong yeah. I thought it was going to be the um, same exact plot of Gemini. It's fairly similar, mm-hmm. um, but it has some startling differences that were, and and it mm-hmm. was so well paced and so fun that it it didn't matter. Um, yeah. Paul Feig had last made uh, Ghostbusters: Answer the Call, which mm-hmm. received a bunch of unfair backlash from people that were angry that the it was recast with women, mm-hmm. which wasn't my complaint with the film at all. I just thought the film was poor. Um, and the, it's not um, a good movie. Chris Hemsworth was kind of the funniest role mm-hmm. because he was asked to do the least and had the most to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is this is back on track. I, I really liked his um, Melissa McCarthy films in The Heat and Spy. Two I haven't seen. And this but... is back on track for me with that comedy. It's not the the bridesmaids ecstasy hot super high point that that is just a perfect film that yeah. is ageless almost yeah but it's really it, it it's really in between the heat spy and and that it's sexy it's funny it's it's quick it's clever it it just it, i want to rewatch it i just I always want to rewatch it it's like the nice guys it's like the yeah. the female version of the nice guys almost i would love to watch this and then watch the nice guys and then watch this and then watch the nice guys and then watch this and yeah. watch the nice guys and just put me on repeat saying that over and over and that's what i want to do yeah to live in a world where we just got kind of a steady output of r-rated adult movies like this is a world that i kind of want to live in but this this feels so unusual and like just such a surprise and like it's it kind of sucks that it's such a surprise like why can't we just get more like original screenplays like this um that are kind of as stylish and as playful and um adult as they are um or as it is um because i think it's a gamble yeah i think it's a really big gamble you know these these comedies you have to play into Mm. kind of a racist formula um Mm. or or like a 
a, a census formula almost where you're like who am i playing into we're mm-hmm. gonna get the the black or african-american community yeah okay well then yeah we'll green light uncle drew but you only have this budget and you have to get nba stars yeah okay you you want to make make a comedy well you have to cast tiffany haddish as the uh the mm-hmm. female yeah because if you don't we're not going to green light it um yeah. oh you're gonna get kevin hart yeah we'll green light your project yeah melissa mccarthy we're not going to do that unless you get you know a, another major actor yeah it's i think comedies are really hard to get a budget for because there's not a good financial turnaround commitment yeah and when there when there is a good turnaround everyone starts trying to hit the same same button um and i think that something like gary sanchez productions has had maybe the most consistent turnout of just good comedies yeah yeah i mean if you're sort of a financier and all you have to go on is what's worked before then you know it's tempting to just repeat Mm -hmm. um, what has worked before and and Um, what's interesting is how kind of segregation is their basis for what to green light becomes yeah you know okay we're casting this person well then we're targeting this audience yeah it's really weird how that works and i think a simple favor kind of doesn't do that yeah yeah i mean not that i have a lot to say about this but i think this was a super diverse cast actually i mean i know Mm -hmm. our three leads are 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 white but um otherwise like i feel like like the the cop was african-american the teacher was middle eastern say that again two leads are white oh yeah yeah sorry you're right henry goldings uh i think he's from singapore right or maybe yeah he's got a british accent accent, though yeah exactly um yeah i mean this felt super diverse to me yeah and it benefited from that but not in a self-conscious way like in a supernatural way yeah it was great like Uh, it it felt like how i want america to feel yeah yeah it felt great um yeah i mean i i think it's really hard to be sort of as funny and as seductive as this movie is and i think it totally pulls it off Mm -hmm. um i was as pulled in as i was you know amused by it um yeah, I don't have that many complaints. I mean... What, a, what do you have to complain about? It's a good question. I mean, you know, kind of like I said, I think there is sort of this third quarter um, stretch where the plot is... The plot mechanics are kind of kicking in and can, we're getting some you, of those flashbacks. Um, give, give me a beginning and an ending point for this. I think it's when we start getting some of those flashbacks to the camp scene um, with Blake Lively... Mm-hmm. meeting up with her twin the, the two twins gotcha yeah and when does yeah. that end mm, probably like just before they all kind of have all three of them have their meetup in blake lively and henry golding's house okay and they're kind of having that little set piece so for me um, all of that worked because i wanted to know what happened yeah so the yeah. flashbacks worked because i was like show me show me the money <laughs> yeah yeah i mean in a way like it's kind of funny to think about one kind of noir you know, if you, if we call this kind of noirish, obviously it's very bright, it's very playful, it's very funny. But, but it you know, is it's noir. noirish. Yeah, yeah it's for a psychosexual sure. noir uh, with a great, you know, modern American twist. Yeah, yeah. And if you know, if anybody has had beef with noir, it's that sometimes like the plot kind of gets in the way, right? Mm-hmm. It's that like all the double crossing or you know, sort of like plot mechanics that kick in, or it's too male centric. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, all that can kind of kick in and, and sort of distract from the atmosphere in a way like, well, that's exactly what this movie does. <laughs> so it's kind of following that formula. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So if you just kind of lean into that and just just take it for what it is, then then it's not a problem. Yeah. Um, I think. Um, yeah, I mean, it's tricky. I don't know that I'd point to anything in particular. I, I, I just think that there's maybe a version out there um, that maybe was even maybe a little bit more violent um, that could that just could have been even funnier um, than it was. I mean, not every joke landed for me, even though I was laughing quite a bit. What jokes didn't work? Some, I mean, some of Anna, Anna Kendrick's sort of mannerisms. Hmm. Um, it's hard. I mean, I, I really liked her performance, but not every joke landed. I mean... I don't know what sort of that ratio is, but that is something that kind of plays into the rating of a comedy for me. Yeah. What that kind of ratio is. No, I, I'm finding working, it fascinating not though, because we have the same rating, but mm. like the reason I didn't give it a perfect score, or the reason I give it a four is because I felt like it never absolutely soared, mm. but I, ne- I, I don't really have any problems with it. Like yeah. my biggest problems are I wanted to spend more time with those side characters. Which ones? The, um, the parents. Oh yeah, they're funny. Yeah, great addition. But like that's that's it. You, you know, I can't really put words to why it's not perfect, but it's. I just know that it's not perfect. But I don't have any of these problems. I think that some of Anna Kendrick's comedy doesn't make me guffaw, but it kind of goes from goofy to hilarious. That's yeah. my scale with her. Like, oh, that's cute and goofy. To yeah. holy shit, I'm laughing so hard. This is hilarious. Yeah. But it never yeah. goes beneath, oh, that's goofy. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, it's the kind of movie that might just age super well and kind of I age into one of those higher scores. Yeah. I mean, sometimes you just kind of have to let it This might be sit. Wounded Soldier. Um, totally. I don't think it's, like, gotten rave reviews. Like, I think on Metacritic, I think it's in, like, the I think 50 to 60 range, something like that. When I logged it, we were the highest reviewers. Yeah, I mean... I don't know what other support people the girls. Go see a simple yeah. favor. <laughs> Word. Um, I'm not sure what I haven't read any other reviews in detail that were mm-hmm. critical of it. So now I, I do kind of want to go back and see. Yeah, what this the, is one of the, the ones that were. I'm probably going to want to spend the most time reading uh, criticism for. Yeah. Weird. You know, like this is just one of those movies that I'd love to read about the criticism for it. Yeah. Especially from someone like Tasha Robinson, maybe. Ah, yeah. She liked it. Did it's she funny. like it? Yeah, which I haven't no listened criticism? to. No criticism? Isn't that funny? I haven't Fuck. I haven't listened to it yet. But... I'd love to read her criticism of <laughs> I this know. Movie. That's hilarious. <laughs> I was listening to that to their podcast and it's Don't at the end like of their things. it's at the end of their podcast where they go around and talk about like one movie they saw recently that they liked uh-huh. and she says, "I'm going to talk about a movie called A Simple Favor." And I was like, "Ah," and I paused it because I didn't want to know anything yet. So, but you know that she liked it. That was her recommendation. God damn it. <laughs> I know. Because when she you, doesn't like things, it's fascinating. Because mm-hmm. her perspective on why she doesn't like something is something I've almost, I almost never arrive at. I think the closest similarity we ever had was something like Ready Player One. Mm-hmm. I always understand where she's coming from, but I, I never arrive to those conclusions before I've heard her out. Yeah. So mm-hmm. this would be one that I'd really love to have her give a scathing review for. Because I'm yeah. sure it's like... Whatever David Ehrlich has to say about this is not going to be intuitive or fascinating or original. Yeah, yeah. I mean, not to just hate on Henry Golding, but, you know, if there was something that I thought could have maybe just taken this up a bit, it, it was maybe somebody else instead of him. Um, who? Oh, gosh, I knew you were going to ask me that, and I don't know that I have anybody in mind. I but have like, one. Who do you got? John Cho. Oh, yeah, that's a great choice. I can totally see that. 
choice. Get it? Choice. <laughs> uh, Let's get to White Castle, dude. <laughs> yeah, there were just, I mean, in addition to, you know, sort of that uh, trait he has, or, you know, or the, the characteristic of him being, you know, this, this struggling writer or whatever that I had trouble buying. Additionally, I mean, I, I just felt like there were a, a couple of times when I felt like I was feeling the acting and not the character. And it's usually when it tries to, to shift a little bit into that more serious mode. Like when they're at the funeral for Blake Lively's character and the boys are fighting outside. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. No, and he I know gets kind of worked up. I know up. what you're talking about. And to me, um, you're saying that you're seeing him act. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, it took me out of it. I agree, yeah. but I disagree with your take on it. I think you were supposed to see him acting and that that mm. was part of the narrative of the film that he was acting that way mm. so that you were supposed to go is he in on this mm. is she not dead or is he not in on this that I think be. it I think it has that for me it had that subtext where I was mm. when he would act in that way I would go oh he's in on it where I would mm. go, is he in on it? You know, it's playing yeah. into that for me. At yeah, least. that's fair. Um, you know, I, yeah, I'd have to re- kind of revisit that scene and see if when he tries to kind of like turn up the intensity a little bit, if I can kind of see it from that angle instead. That might that might work. That's how um, I took it in. Yeah, I was you know twenty hours into my day at that point. So. There you go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I I may have been wrong, but Delirious Taylor took it that way. Yeah. Yeah, um, but yeah, I mean, not a huge deal. Still super positive on it. Um, yeah, I think you s- mentioned that you could uh, you could see this maybe sneaking into an, a, a best adapted screenplay category. Yes, yes I did. Uh, I could see that. Um, you know, just depending on what the field, how the field shapes up. I don't know that there are that many other like great if adapted screenplays. That will be absolutely be towards the top. I think it'll be the um, winner. Yeah. I'll just um, call it right now. I think that'll be the winner. Yeah. Uh, I feel like it's already usually somewhat of a limited field anyways. Um, it, it is fairly narrow. I I think there's a lot more this year that um, I'd need to spend some time thinking about. But, y- you know, who who's going to be able to offer legitimate... Um, competition in in the field at this point i don't think that either of us had a adapted screenplay in our top 10 i don't think so not that i can recall yeah so mm. it's it's gonna be tough sledding for um for anyone to try to compete with if beale street could talk yeah i i mean maybe mary queen of scots is going to be adapted off of a a book yeah so that could be a nomination um, but that'll just be something that they put on the cover. It will never mm-hmm. be seriously considered for that award with yeah. um, with the competition, I don't think. Yeah. yeah. You can have dark horses, I think, in that category. Like last year, not that it wasn't you know a bad film. I didn't particularly like it, but I think Logan snuck into that category, which people weren't expecting. Um, you didn't like Logan? I did not really like Logan. New podcast. I was scared to say that because I know you like Logan. <laughs> but we'll get there. It's all right. I'm going to skin him alive mm. and hang him from a tree, people. Going to sink those wolverine claws in. I'm going to put mm. Shane on repeat in front mm. of your eyes. I know. It's a western. It's an Ozu film. I don't know. I don't know that I buy any of that. Did you but... watch the wolverine? 
Uh, I don't know that I did, actually. I don't think so. Yeah. So, could be a problem. Do you like Hugh Jackman? Um, I, so you I'm don't. neutral. You didn't say yes, so yeah. you don't <laughs> like him. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Fascinating. Most people yeah. do. So if you don't like him, then I can see where you're coming from. Yeah. Um, most people do like him. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think I fall in the Sam Van Holgren camp on Logan, where the more realistic you try to make some of these superhero movies, the more ridiculous the endeavor ultimately becomes um i'd have to go back and kind of flesh out some of his opinions but i remember reading some of what he wrote and i'd be like yeah this is kind of how i felt about this movie i gave it a two or a two and a half something like that i didn't feel much for it but we digress not to just state my opinion and then be like but that's it <laughs> i'll light him on fire once uh, the mic is turned off yeah uh yeah, any other thoughts on A Simple Favor? I think that the reason that you are able to word your thoughts about Logan are because you finished your beer before me, so you're just loaded right now. I'm ahead. You're, you're just, uh, you just don't know what you're saying. <laughs> I'm winning the beer race. Um, A Simple Favor, I, I think it, it plays to an adult audience in a way that films often don't nowadays. Mm-hmm. I think it's beautiful. I think it's well-paced. I think um, Blake Lively has this exuding chemistry with the camera that also works on all the characters that she interacts with. Um, I think that she she brings a sultry level of sexuality to every encounter that she has, whether or not it's her with the audience or her with herself or her with Anna Kendrick or Harry Golding, Henry Golding. Um, I, I do think that that one moment where her and Anna Kendrick make out is mm. just <laughs> steamy, to use another S word. Yes. Did you want to help me come up with other S words? I think that you had said that I, you wanted to come up with other S words to describe I, this film. I know. As soon as I started writing my review, I think like the first word I was going to be used was to be like a really slick, and I was like, oh, there we go. I already got another one. <laughs> Yeah. That so was chic instead, just to change it up. <laughs> oh yeah, another ass <laughs> So let's let's um get to my review. So I opened up saying it was smart, sultry, sexy, scintillating, and every other S word I didn't list that means I had a good time. So you had All the great S words. Chic. Slick. Uh slick was the first one that came to mind. Uh -huh. We got other S's. Uh sensual. Ooh, I love it. Hmm. Simmering? Mm. Hmm. Uh. <laughs> Shrek? No, that doesn't fit. Uh, no. No. Hmm. I don't know. Leave us a comment. This does not fit. No. Yeah. Let us know mm. what S words you think describe mm. a simple favor. Mm-hmm. Perhaps it's a simple film. Ah, no. there it is. <laughs> Found it. <laughs> So, two thumbs up for a simple favor. Two thumbs up. Um, great chemistry, great cast, super fun, super funny, crowd pleaser. Um, I think it's probably one that you could enjoy with your parents if you're younger. Yeah. It, it's a, the first thing I did when I um, had a chance, I think it was the day after, I, uh, or 
I guess it was the day of because I finished it technically after midnight. But yesterday I, I called my mom and I was like, Mom, that A Simple Favor movie that I told you you might not like, mm. I was totally wrong, Mom. you got to go see it. You're going to love be into it. it. <laughs> yeah. A relatively tame R rating, right? Um, yeah. The, it says nudity, graphic nudity, but I think that's just the painting. I agree. I think that is sort of There's uh, a little bit of, of a, a nip slip for yeah. Blake Lively at one point in her tux, but mm-hmm. that was... Yeah, the be looking in the right place at the right time. Yeah, in a way, like it would not have been easy for this to have gotten a PG thirteen rating had they just cut out some of the the vulgar dialogue. Yeah, but no, I think with, that actually with the violence helped. and the sexuality. Yeah. Um, oh, one hundred percent glad they went for the R rating. Mm-hmm. Um, that would have been a mistake. And for I don't sure. know that they went for the R rating. I'm just glad they didn't compromise on the vision. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, yeah, cutting some of that out, I think, really would have um, detracted, detracted yeah. from the the sexuality of it so great movie fantastic Mm -hmm. should we get to dress to kill from brian de palma that's right moving backwards in time a little bit do you find me attractive of course would you want to sleep with me yes then why don't you because i love my wife it isn't worth jeopardizing my marriage. You won't see me anymore, so I'm going to have a little session with your machine. Oh, I borrowed your razor, and... Well, you'll read all about it. And we're back, continuing with a discussion of Brian De Palma's 1980 film, Dressed to Kill. I really like this film. I gave it four stars and a heart. You were a little more lukewarm on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are certain moments that I absolutely was gripped by, loved, intrigued, enthralled. I just gave it a three. Um, mm. I think that the plot did not work for me at all. Mm. I knew that Michael Caine was the villain in the first scene. Mm. And um, unfortunately, spending all that time pretending that it's not him really detracted from my experience. Uh, yeah. I think maybe Mike D'Angelo um, put this to words really eloquently when he said that for every great step Brian De Palma makes forward visually, he has a hit-you-over-the-head, stupid, obvious bit of of imagery as well. Mm -hmm. And that's um, best depicted after her sexual experience at the hotel Mm -hmm. where she's rifling through the drawer and we pick up a sheet that says venereal disease confirmed basically mm-hmm. which completely detracted from my amazing experience of her in that museum and uh waking up with that unique clock and trying to locate mm-hmm. her jewelry and, and find her clothing and and seeing her face as she found herself um again because she was finding mm-hmm. herself and that was very mm-hmm. interesting how she was finding her herself as this mature sexual woman Mm. and it was all detracted by this moment of vulgarity and i Mm. don't think that you shouldn't have that moment of vulgarity i just think that it's kind of hitting you over the head with it Mm. and that detracted from my experience personally yeah yeah i think i found it more humorous that bit in particular at least than you did um yeah i didn't find it to be a comedy yeah i mean to to me if something like Blowout is imitating Hitchcock just to imitate it, I don't think it's really commenting on some of the Hitchcockian flourishes like Dress to Kill is. Um, some of these I find a little more 
a little more playful, a little more interesting what he's kind of um, I guess commenting I, I on. I take that back because when she gets slashed in the elevator, yeah, it was almost hilarious. Yeah. Um, to me, I mean, it, it, it's kind of this bit of misdirection because it ultimately doesn't matter. She dies anyways. Mm-hmm. Um, it just undercuts what has been this sort of kind of absurd afternoon of her um having this game of cat and mouse with a guy that suddenly ends with reality kicking in um to me that is sort of a subversion of sort of this classic more romantic kind of mode that it was otherwise kind of working in and then when she gets in the elevator i actually really like the shot of her looking at the little girl and the little girl staring back at her and her sort of looking like she feels like the girl can see what she just read or something like that, you know? Um, when you're feeling embarrassed, when you're feeling shame about something and you feel like people can see what it is that you're embarrassed about. Um, to me, there was some sharp editing there in the elevator, only to I, have it pivot look, and not matter can, can anyways. Can we stay there for a sec? Yeah. I interpreted that scene entirely differently. Mm. Um, there's an earlier scene at the museum where she is the one staring at the little girl. Mm. And witnessing the little girl's uh, truth instead of what the little girl says. Mm. She sees both, but she she's the only one that witnesses the little girl's actions. Mm-hmm. And I was interpreting it as a reversal of that. Mm. I can't remember. I mean, the little girl's kind of having like a tussle with her mom, right? Um, so the mom and either the husband or a, a, a man who is of interest to the, to the mother mm-hmm. are looking at the map. Yeah, which yeah, she yeah. will later revisit um, and she's tugging on her mom's sleeve asking her to go can mm-hmm. I go can I go and she says be quiet hold on basically mm-hmm. and then she or stay still or something and then she takes a step becomes still takes a step becomes still mm-hmm. takes a step becomes still takes it and then starts running off and the only mm-hmm. person witnessing it is her yeah and I, I viewed it as kind of a reversal of that yeah yeah i mean or she's doing something that she said she wouldn't do yeah totally fair interpretation i can't there's i i wouldn't argue against that at all i mean but, to me, but that's i was why... by that experience as well yeah a different experience um, but I, I i did find that particularly moving yeah yeah i mean people i mean one thing i knew about this movie before watching it was you know this museum sequence right because people i didn't know about, about that it before okay and, yeah um but it, it's my favorite part yeah uh, yeah, I mean, people talk about the tracking shots in it, which are which are great, but I also just like the cuts between, you know, her sitting on the bench, her looking at something like the painting, then the other people, and then the cuts back to the painting. And to me, those are cuts mm-hmm. that sort of equal the, what, the what, sum is greater than the parts because when, when you see the painting, see her, see her looking at something, and then go return to the painting, you look at the painting differently, right? It's It's as if the painting's are seeing what she's also mm-hmm. seen and it's this kind of fun way to yeah you're bringing interpret. the baggage of the scene with you back to the the painting every time yeah like the um, painting so it becomes is a voyeur kind of behaving as, as a whore as she continues to chase this man then when she's running away mm. from him it reverses um mm. because she's returning to this room where it's nude women she's re- yeah. she's returning to this nude feminine uh room constantly in this art museum uh, what films did did the museum scene make you think of? Vertigo, for sure. Um, James Stewart walking in and seeing Kim Novak sitting on the bench looking at a painting, you know, of, it's of a woman, right? Mm-hmm. 
um, in this case, were with the woman on the bench. Um, I do think that's kind of a fun shift in perspective. Um, that's what came to mind. Did something else come to mind for you? Yes. Uh, you film from this year that now I'm blanking on the name of because mm. I'm just there. But uh, that Joaquin Phoenix movie? The Joaquin Phoenix movie from this year? Uh, the Gus Van Sant one? No. The what other. else was he in this year? Um, the one that we went to go see together? The oh, Hammer? Uh, Paul Hammer? You Were Never Really Here. Mm, it yeah. made me think of You Were Never oh, Really Here cool. in the yeah. finale. Yeah. And how he chases the young girl. Um, mm. In that in that final scene, he traverses the grounds after his mother is taken away from him. Yeah. Um, he gives her a burial, returns to the light, resurfaces, and goes to rescue her. And then we kind of enter this point in time where we don't know what's reality. Mm. But there's this these beautiful depictions of art and femininity all around this manse. Yeah. And I it really made me think of that. I almost yeah. wondered if something like this influenced that. Mm. Yeah, that's cool. That movie, I think, to- is at the top of my list of ones that I need to revisit before the end of the year, before I make any mm. uh, further finalizations to my list. I Lucky think there's for more... me, I have revisited it. I know. And it's not so, in my It didn't list. change. Yeah. Um, it changed. That's, that's a just... cool connection. Yeah changed to it's still outside you know yeah. it's it's outside the writer which means it's outside it. yeah it's outside Gemini yeah well yeah I will definitely think of Dress to Kill now when I do revisit it um please do yeah yeah I liked uh I liked the museum sequence um I liked you know just kind of how um playful some of these homages were um they were drawn out to an extent that they become sort of absurd and call mm-hmm. attention to what you are doing watching these things, which I don't think Hitchcock movies do. Um, I mean, I think Hitchcock is very... Um, these movies are very involving, but he's very much pulling the strings. And in a way, I mean, I think if there's any criticism of Hitchcock, it's that he, is that he is sort of the, the, the man behind the scenes pulling the strings of these um, icy blondes um, and putting us in the perspective of a voyeur. Brian De Palma's calling attention to us as the voyeur, which I don't, I think Hitchcock is just concerned with putting us there um, and not as much calling attention to it. I think that's why he's the best that's ever been. Mm. Yeah. I mean, but but I think, uh, you know, uh, uh, that's okay. It, it, here. To me, it's a different way of engaging with these um, preceding films that's different from blowout that feels more like pastiche which isn't bad it's just it's you know it's imitating just to imitate um whereas this is more of a comment on some of these hitchcockian techniques um which emphasize how they're not just engaging they're also a little silly um and i I find that insightful in a very straightforward uh visual fashion this is not um um didactic or any way for for me hitchcock is the greatest um that's ever been and for the foreseeable future that ever will be i i love a lot of other directors but to draw a more modern comparison barely if someone were to criticize martin sorsese by making films like him that were commenting on his style i wouldn't find them better 
and that's I think where mm. I'm at with Brian De Palma. Yeah. Just because you're noticing a flaw in a storytelling technique and representing it doesn't make it better than it. Yeah. Oh yeah. I don't Be- mean this because thing. you didn't come up with the theme to begin with. You didn't come up with the genre. You didn't come up with a style. So when I'm when I'm seeing that when I, if someone were to make a if J.J. Abrams were instead to not mimic and um, love Spielberg, but were to kind of make a, a commentary on the representations of Spielberg's tendencies, I wouldn't find them as gripping as one J.J. Abrams is representing Spielberg. Mm. Yeah, that's totally fair. I mean, I, I wouldn't say that this is any in any way superior to Hitchcock because it's... Okay, that's that's how I was interpreting it. No, 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 I was no, like, no. I, I was disagreeing with, with that take for that reason mm. no, no no i don't think it's superior in any way i mean if there's any problem with the with diploma in general is that it doesn't it, it feels like most of it is derivative including blow up to me i mean that's why it's, i don't blow i had blow out sorry i've done that five times mm-hmm. um is that they all feel like movies that i have trouble even imagining without hitchcock um yeah. right they all so feel the thing derivative for me, to me is blowout feels like a like a a tapestry woven in honor of Hitchcock Mm. um, where he's tearing it down and reconstructing it eloquently with Mm. these Italian filmmakers um, visions in mind. So it's Mm. kind of a conglomeration of Mm. beauty. Whereas this feels like a, just a cheap ride. It just was was very cheap. Never would have guessed this. I, I like the idea of, of a lot of, what is represented here but i i didn't find michael kane as the psychologist interesting Mm. in any way i for some reason it was telegraphed to me that uh he was gonna be the villain because of the way that he was fascinated with femininity and wouldn't talk about his wife yeah i just kind of got got the idea that he was the one experiencing this gender dysmorphia Mm. Um, and that we only ever heard Bobby on the voicemail and never saw her. Mm. Um, it, yeah, it it didn't work for me. It, it fell apart kind of from the start. Yeah. Um, I was most intrigued by the relationship of, um, at this point in time, I think it was still Brian De Palma's wife, who I don't recall the name of. She was also in Blowout, who's the one that gets strangled and murdered at the end mm. during the fireworks display, and the young boy. Mm. that's what was most interesting and i was actually thinking about how um how that in spielberg might have some similarities that the young nerdy boy experiencing cinema mm-hmm. history kind of yeah and yeah. and maybe how that vision comes across in something like uh spielberg's lincoln you know mm-hmm. how it is very much this nerdy boy's interpretation of heroism yeah yeah um with that character in mind i mean i do think there's sort of a continuation of de palma's interest in sort of like the mechanics of filmmaking right like john travolta's you know sort of recreating this scene in the form of a movie um as does this kid right what does he do he's tinkering he's engineering and he puts together this little mm-hmm. camera on the back of a bicycle it's, it's very um, clear what de palma likes and it's yeah, very clear yeah. why him and george and sorsese and coppola were all friends yeah right yeah and schrader yeah. Gotta include Schrader in the conversation. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, to me, the, 
there there is a satisfaction I get from Blowout in these sincere homages to Hitchcock, but I also think that there is value in sort of a demythologizing of certain Hitchcock conventions that happens in Trust to Kill. And I, and um, I might be biased against that because I might yeah. have Hitchcock in such reverence that I don't like demythologizing it. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, maybe once I finish watching every single one of his movies, I'll be at that point. Yeah. But I, I don't want him torn down while I'm still experiencing it. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, I don't have a lot else to say. Um, we split a little bit, but... Do, I think I understand where you're coming from, and I respect it. D- yeah. Does where I'm coming from make much sense? Or, 100%. Or... Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I I can't argue at all. What do you uh, think about um, his fascination with uh, nude blondes in the shower? I mean, to me, that's in line with the... Uh, with with Hitchcock in mind, right? No, I mean, it um, it is, but he's putting a twist on it where they're experiencing their sexuality within the shower. Yeah, he's Hitchcock never depicted them nude. Yeah, um, he's depicting them nude, and he's showing uh, specifically his wife basically in a position where she's masturbating with the showerhead. Yeah, um, I don't. I am totally guessing here, but I am curious if. Hitchcock would have depicted the nudity had he could have like had censorship not been a problem I don't know when you know the production code kind of fell apart but like I don't think he he would have depicted it like that though I agree absolutely and I do think that is like it's not sincere the way in which De Palma for me depicts that scene it is absurd I don't think it's Hitchcockian sincere Mm -hmm. but I do question whether or not it's De Palma's version of sincerity uh Say more. Sorry, you lost me a little bit there. I I question whether or not he sincerely wants to de- depict women rubbing their breasts with soap for two minutes in a Hollywood film because that's what he desires. You think he has to, like something else in mind, or you you think he's doing no, it I just because he, he likes I think it? He, I think, like you said about Hitchcock, he's doing it just because he likes it. Mm, gotcha. Um, that is fair. I mean, to me, it's it's too absurd not to to call attention to it, and it thus distances me from it a little bit. Um, so it would be, I think, sort of ignorant to say that, you know, there isn't some kind of pleasure that De Palma thinks we can find in it, but he's sort of simultaneously aware of its sort of ridiculousness and... Um, yes, I, I do think he's, a, he's aware of its ridiculousness, but also... That it is sexy, and but I I think mm-hmm. that you know he he's best known for his first act first scene twists, yeah. And then what else? Uh, I would say a lot. I mean, here we get the the gear shift mid movie. I mean, I guess to me that's startling. Um, to me we get a lot of flourishes, right? We get the we get the split screens. We get the uh, split diopters. So because of the, the documentary De Palma, I was aware that his wife was a main character in this film. Yeah. So I knew that something was missing. Uh, uh, so that gear shift didn't work on me, I yeah. guess, that way. Um, what else? Sorry, continue. 
I mean, maybe it's not so much about like what it what is going to happen, but it's like how we get there, right? Um, with I mean, to me, that's that's how a lot of predictable movies still work. Is that um, the style is um, that the style justifies us watching mm-hmm. and our pleasure from it. Um, his wife's character getting on the train and the murderous blonde in the background of the shot stepping onto the train we know where all this is going but it's how it's all put together and constructed that that's how, still how about the the four men chasing her saying they want to they want to rape her essentially definitely a weak point for me yeah kind of took for me sure. out of it for um sure. her encounter with the cop i don't know yeah i would agree it, it just all the plot seemed to work against itself on purpose it all seemed mm-hmm. overly um machinized mm. um and the, really the the second most gripping shot that i found was when he uh when michael kane chokes out the nurse at the end oh at the very end yeah mm-hmm. or almost the very end yeah and then that that scene and, and then her waking up because i i knew that it wasn't real but i did find that entire encounter of um her in the shower um seemingly masturbating and then seeing the white nurse shoes on the ground and her, oh, yeah. her careful planning and then getting her neck slit and waking up i i did find that um the imagery evoking yeah you know so i i do think he's a he's a great visual storyteller i just think that that's one where maybe he was too focused on his vision and not on entertainment and it seems to have hmm. worked for you in a way that it just didn't yeah. work for me makes sense well shall we navigate to room 104 we should tonight is for us let's travel back in time 56 years hey you're scaring me this isn't a game this is the moment you enter and we're going to talk about the Duplass Brothers uh, anthology series, Room 104 on HBO, um, episodes 11 and 12 from season one. That's right. These are the only two episodes of this season that I have seen. You've seen the entirety of it now, correct? No, I'm missing um, episode five through ten. All right. Skipped a little bit. Yeah. I, right. I was really enjoying it. I just didn't have the energy or the want to to keep up with it. With a lot of TV shows, I do like to um, wait till they're all out. And that's what I was intending to do with this. Yeah. And then the opportunity to just kind of throw in an anthology that maybe we wouldn't normally see um, yeah. cropped up. So I said, why not do this? And I'll get around to finishing those episodes probably right before they do, uh, they begin season two. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so just to kind of baseline, you like the other ones? The rest of yeah. the anthology? Yeah. I, I really cool. like. Um, this low budget ability to let creatives tell a story um wholly unique and wholly encapsulated in kind of 22 to 28 minutes yeah very I think tight it's, i think it's a wonderful format and, and i think it's it's really really important that something like this exists yeah i agree yeah i think it was the first of the two episodes so episode 11 um that was directed by megan griffiths right yep um seattle filmmaker uh, she's from around here. 
I did not know. Yeah, I, I don't know I, if she's if she's still based here, but I always hear her talked about in the same vein as Lynn Shelton. She's another oh, Northwest yeah. filmmaker. So that was cool. But I was excited Lynn, to see her Lynn name. Was pretty fucking great. Yeah, that's yeah. that's good company to keep. Do you yeah. know what what else she's made by chance? Or uh, she's made <laughs> another movie called Eden, which was about sex trafficking. I've heard of it. I haven't seen it. I haven't seen that one either. She had one that was released this year that played at SIF. I don't know if it's gotten distribution or not, but I can't remember the name of it. So she's still very much, uh, is that maybe the night stalker? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. That was actually a 2016 release. So it's been looking for distribution for some time. Maybe it just, uh, happened to get, uh, that was a screened release. So it's a, it's available on Amazon prime and voodoo. Got it. Cool. Um, which you know, uh, it looks like Voodoo's four ninety nine. So go there instead of Amazon Prime for the fourteen ninety nine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Always go with price, but yeah, yeah. She's advertised here as a uh, Seattle filmmaker. Um, she's got a YouTube video. That's kind of the first thing that pops up. Yeah, it's cool. Representing the Northwest, love it. Out of uh, Ohio University it appears. Ah. Oh, she has a film from twenty eighteen called Sadie. Oh, uh, yeah, I remember that name, too. 85% on Rotten Tomatoes, 2 out of 5 from IndieWire, meaning David Ehrlich probably hated it. Um, <laughs> Tony Hale's in it. Yeah, yeah, Melanie Linsky. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I love me some Melanie Linsky. So, yeah. So let's, cool. let's see if we can find a way to squeeze this into uh, Indie But Overlooked by yeah. the end of the year. Um, totally. Yeah, I'll, I'll go ahead and screenshot this, and we can try to find a way to fit it in. Yeah yeah um maybe we'll have a wounded soldiers episode yeah exactly so you want to start with hers chronologically anyways yeah yeah so this is the fight Fight. it's written by mark duplass who um is on the record as loving writing his screenplays for room 104 basically more than he loves writing anything else um the this is one of my favorite production companies. I don't particularly think that any of their um, films are the best in any given year, but I do love the originality and the um, ability that they give to original voices. Mm-hmm. Uh, my favorite film that's come out of uh, the Duplass Brothers company is called Blue Jay. Oh, yeah. It's a Sarah Paulson, Mark Duplass film. It's very intimate. I think it might be black and white. Mm-hmm. It's hard for me to know. Yeah. <laughs> But it's it's just really intimate, really lovely, very um, empathetic, very emotionally appealing, um, really quaint, and I think that, that describes Room One Hundred Four. It's it's really tight, really emotional, and what you see is what you get. You won't get anything after the episode. You won't get anything before the episode. They all take place in a room, number one hundred four, mm-hmm. and it's all kept to itself. This is called the fight. It is about. Um, kind of the fighter's spirit Mm -hmm. the um, realism of what it's like to attempt to live while fighting as far as paycheck to paycheck and how hard it is to change the system Mm -hmm. as a fighter um, even when you know you want to change it you can't really adapt your behavior and it speaks a really eloquent really beautiful voice to that and um, I was very surprised that Mark was able to depict the, or that in a screenplay, I guess. I, I never got the hint that he was in on fighting um, stuff in any way. Yeah. Nuances, I suppose, would be the correct word there. 
Yeah. Yeah, I feel like in a 22-minute episode, um, for characters to have to show kind of a range of intensity of emotion, um, that's hard to get viewers to really be willing to sort of move with you emotionally that fast. Um, I actually thought both of these actresses were really strong. Um, they get intense very quickly. Um, right off the bat, we're on a phone call that one of the fighters is having with her manager. She's in, she's angry. She's upset. You know, she when you have this little time, um, you, you just have to get your audience willing to buy in very quickly. And um, it did that. Um, I think it was pretty tight. What did you think about the conversation on fighting compensation that was being had? Um, I thought it was interesting. Um, and there's there's sort of um, stubborn mentalities um, was so it doesn't matter compelling. who wins, right? Yeah, <laughs> we're uh, not going to keep fighting after this, right? It doesn't mm-hmm. matter who wins. Mm-hmm. Uh, if if I had if I had some beef with it, it was maybe some of the voiceover narration. I didn't think it was. I didn't know that it was necessary. Um, I thought it was kind of telling me what I, what I was already feeling, um, but. Uh, I did like both of these actresses, um, and a good portion of this 20 minutes is just them fighting. I actually thought, I think it was most, it felt like mostly handheld camera work that was pretty, um, quick and sharp and, um, kept me oriented on them. The the kind of swirl and the flip, um, you know, it, there were certain obvious bits of acting that were happening during these fights where yeah. uh, the chokes are clearly too loose or, the you know, you you don't hold someone by the head there. That's you, Certain things with technique were very obviously wrong, but I, in something so wholly original and self-confined, I, I think it really did work. And even the ending worked, where there's the hole in the wall and the guy that's cleaning up the room. Yeah. Uh, here's people next door watching the fight. Uh, as one of the girls gets their arm snapped in half and he's invited over to watch this fight because it's an amazing fight. Yeah. Um, it, it just was 100% believable the entire time. Yeah. Um, even when it wasn't believable for obvious reasons that maybe you need to know what a fighting style looks like or how to correctly perform a choke or why would she have her in a perfect choke hold and then let her up? You know, yeah. there's some some very questionable things happening um but it, it it was fun and original yeah yeah i felt like the environment was very conducive to the action you know kind of the combination of their sweat and their blood with sort of the soiled carpet that just yes. looks gross like that all kind of just melded together nicely i'm like i don't know if that carpet is soiled from them <laughs> or something else but it looks bad and i i wish they weren't rolling around on it <laughs> <laughs> or or why did they do this to the walls? <laughs> Especially when she like accidentally kicks a hole in the wall, just like careless, like just with her toes. All of a sudden, there's a giant hole in the wall. I'm like, How? yeah, I I think that this might have been staged a little bit, guys. Yeah. Well, I just really wanted them to both take a good shower. Yeah. Very bad. So for this episode, I'm kind of a a three, three and a half. I think you said you were more of a one, two. I I think I have come back on that a little bit. Um, I don't watch anywhere near as many shorts as you do. Um, so I just need to, you know, kind of figure out how to find my feeling in mm-hmm. shorts. So I actually think I would give this a three and a half um, okay. or a three. Um, it's just that, 
you know, 22 minutes. I'm used to feeling a lot in a hour and a half long narrative. I have to kind of adjust and compensate for for time. Do you want to commit to a score? Um, I'll do three here? and a half. Yeah, three and a half. I'm fine with All that. right. So let's get to my love, which is a beautiful, sad, <laughs> startling. Um, original depiction of sexuality, sensuality, love, forgiveness, and um, having a partner while you age. Yeah. It's also written by Mark Duplass, and this one is directed by Marta Cunningham. Do you have any quaint, fun commentary on the director here? Uh, no, I do not. I do not know anything about her. So, I got nothing. You? Uh, I know everything about her. She is an American film director who has what? blonde hair and was married Whoa. to James Freeman in 2004. She has received a nomination from the NAACP. This changes everything. I am a genius. I can Google. Hey, hey. <laughs> oh, she's done some um, transparent episodes, it appears. She did an episode of Grownish, which is the sequel to Blackish, or mm -hmm. a, a sequential series to Blackish. Just a lot of the television work, it looks like. The Bold Type, I've never heard of that. How to Get Away with Murder. Um, she did one on Pretty Little Liars. Uh, Star Trek Discovery, that's, that's ah, pretty good. Cool. Good Fight, um, also okay. kind of big. And then she has one film that she directed back in 2013. It's a documentary called Valentine Road. Huh. Seems to have gotten some pretty good um, reception. It's averaging a 7.1 out of 1,200 reviews on IMDb here. Cool. So. She's got a filmography. Yeah. Yeah. Most uh, directors do. Yes. <laughs> uh, I like this. Um, I really, really like Philip Baker Hall. Um, the movie that always comes to mind when I think of him is uh, Heart 8, PTA's first movie. Um what's it called hard eight never, never seen, seen that it. one never heard of it yeah um as well as one of his like first shorts um that philip baker hall has a big role in um i always find him really compelling um he's one of those guys that just seems to have like become more physically interesting as he's aged um He's, for me, he's very much a, a placid surface that mm. holds in, a, retains a lot of energy and a lot of yeah. emotion. It kind just of feels like, like, a, yeah. like what people want out of Harry Dean Stanton is what I get from him. Ooh, yeah. Yeah, it, yeah. There's a, there seems to be a lot going on beneath the surface, and it comes out in these really smooth kind of waves of emotion as he delivers his dialogue. Um, I thought it was a very sweet, sad little story bittersweet right? <laughs> yeah um especially that uh when when she dies and he's calling her my love mm. and and kind of begins the self-narration process where he calls his daughter to figure out the name of the kid that was just born that he doesn't know the name of because he doesn't have it written down in his photo book and then he starts kind of explaining um himself and his life choices with his wife and that he knows that she had an affair and uh the man ed that she was having the affair with came to confront him and th that was the most scared that he'd ever been in his life and he thought that his life was over yeah and when he went home for dinner 
the uh, conversation they had about not going to dinner with their friends, Ed and Ed's wife. Yeah. Um, and going to see a movie instead, and and him knowing that that meant she chose to keep him, and how much that meant to him was just really lovely and touching. Like I have a lot of problems with the cheating thing, you know. Like it, that's fair. <laughs> but for some reason, the way it was presented, much like um, togetherness. Um, another series by them it just works for me this it it's quaint it's forgiving it's honest it's brutal and it's lovely yeah which is really weird mm. to say about something that has adultery <laughs> yeah 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 there's something about watching a show like this and sort of the realization about how off or how infrequently you're just seeing really great movies with actors and actresses above a certain age. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it just feels like you suddenly realize that there's been this sort of like gap in the experiences that you've watched in movies. Um, That's why like mm-hmm. I'm going to go out of my way to see the wife. Yeah. 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 Could absolutely fill that void. Um, just that alone to see two, two people, an actor and an actress, um, sort of embracing what what makes um that period of real life interesting and and worth um there being stories about uh mm-hmm. it's super moving super moving yeah because um, if there's if it's worth having a story about um a younger point in time yeah then we we do need to see how those coalesce come together the regrets and and things of that nature um and we and we need to see that while we're still young enough to incorporate that into our behaviors so that yep. we have what you know what one would call an adaptive um, choice. You know, we we could choose. We we could have yeah. knowledge and choose to adapt. And yeah. I'd I'd like to see more stories in this frame set. Um, yeah. And there are some. You know, there's there's more middle aged films. Um, I think that something that we really would have never seen before um, on Body and Soul. Oh yeah, I still haven't caught up with that from, one yet. From last year, it's just such a beautiful original piece of work that we're we're really lucky to get but you know i i don't want to keep seeing morgan freeman and michael kane doing heist films i want to see michael kane not as a gender dysmorphia uh murderer yeah but as a as a man who regrets some of his life's choices and is attempting to cope with them yeah I, i would like to hear more of those stories yeah the uh the old people doing funny young things that that seems to be getting very trite very fast um yes i'm not interested in those stories at the moment i i do um, understand that there does need to be fun approachable entertainment for people of that age with the stars yeah. that they love but i think that um younger people also need to be given stories that show the costs of young choices and how those play into later life so that you can have those adaptive changes yeah yeah to me like if, you know, it's funny to think about eighth grade and Bo Burnham um, thinking about the experience of a, of a young girl and the contrast or the opposite being like, um, gosh, who's the director of Crescia and uh, We Own the Night? Or Trey not We Own the Night. Um, Trey Edward Schultz. Yeah, with Crescia, right? Telling the story mm-hmm. of his family. Um, it comes at night. And an older, it comes at night, exactly, not We Own the Night. James um, Also a great movie. Um, him telling the story about um, an older woman in his life. Um, rather than a younger woman, like in eighth grade, you know, just... Um, That's his aunt, actually. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and those were a bunch of members of his real family. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it proves that, you know, directors can put themselves in the shoes of other people, and it still is tremendously affecting and true. 
Yes, um, and directors not appropriation that are noticed by Terrence Malick mm, as yeah. being good at being directors have that ability. Yeah. I don't know how many of those there are. I know. I know that he's mm. one of them and the only one that I'm aware of. <laughs> I'll take it. Better than nothing. It is. Just keep looking for him. Um, what did you think about that sex scene where he'd already taken the Viagra and he kind of plays dead on top of her? Uh, I thought it was funny. I thought it, I thought um, it, it was it, cute it, and, yeah, just is kind of sweet. Yeah, yeah. It had me it had me laughing a little bit. Um, you know, one thing that you don't get that often when you see movies with young sex depicted on screen is that it always looks very smooth when in reality, like, sex is. for the first time is always terrible. Mm-hmm. You know, and this is kind of the, the end of life way where it's kind of clumsy, you know, and not super smooth, but, you know, it's still uh, She's like, emotional. maybe I need some lube too. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, no, it's on me, it's enough. Yeah, I'm I, just I, worried about me. <laughs> I thought it was funny um, and sweet as well. Yeah, not definitely not laughing at them. They're laughing, laughing at themselves, them, yeah. and it's when he it's, when it's he funny. plays dead. I just I thought it was mm-hmm. so funny and, yeah. and sweet. And did you think she was maybe playing dead? I did. I, I think did that too. was on purpose. And yeah, I thought that, that was a really good choice. Yeah, yeah. It, I, I think it, Mark's really good at these little screenplays. Yeah, and yeah. I, I I hope that we get a couple more seasons of. Yeah. Um. I think that I'm kind of a three and a half on this one. Where, where are you at? I think I'm probably about the same. Three and a half. Three and a half. Um, yeah. To me, there is something kind of nice about anthologies, unlike miniseries or just regular TV. That's all about forward momentum and the need to kind of constantly be selling you to keep you involved. Whereas, you know, an anthology like this does feel more like bite-sized cinema. <laughs> um, Especially for... kind of this dude. I think the Duplass brothers, um, their production company very much does feel like bite-sized cinema. Yeah. Yeah. Um, have you ever seen their, their, uh, series that they had two seasons of togetherness? Never saw that. That, that might be a fun thing for us to attempt to incorporate at some way far in the future point in time. Yeah. Um, really beautiful, touching slice of life bits. Yeah. I, I think you'd probably gravitate towards pretty hard. Yeah. Um, yeah, one of my favorites of theirs was The One I Love with, yes. um, I'm forgetting the actress's name, but uh, Mark Duplass and Elizabeth, something from The Handmaid, Handmaid's Tale and Mad Men. Um, yes, Elizabeth Moss. Yes. The Scientologist yeah. herself. Mm, yeah, yeah. Little, yeah, that little tight sci-fi movie. Yeah. That was fun. I like that one pretty well. Yeah. I, I don't know. It's It's been a while since I saw that. I might need to revisit that one. Yeah. That might... Cool. We, we might need to try to do a Duplass thing when things slow down, maybe next spring. Kind of a low-budget cinema thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Maybe toss in um, Creep Core. Creep 2. Yeah, yeah. I haven't seen Creep 2 yet, so that'd be fun. Me neither. Um, should we get to consensus rankings? Oh, you want to run through them? Yeah, yeah, let's do it. All right, Predator. Four and a half from each of us, four and a half consensus. The Predator. One from me, two from you, one and a half consensus. Sex, lies, and videotape. Five, five, and a perfect five. Whoa. First time in drinking the movie's history. A simple favor, I gave it a four. You gave it a four. Total of four. Trust to kill, I gave it a three. You gave it a four. Three and a half. The fight, three and a half. My love, three and a half. These are both two episodes, the last two episodes from season one 
of Room 104. Love it. So what's on tap next week, Michael? On tap next week, we have Let the Corpses Tan, What Keeps You Alive, Mandy, the much-anticipated Nicolas Cage movie, The Strange Colors of Your Body's Tears, which is uh, a feature from the director, uh, Let the Corpses Tan, Beyond the Black Rainbow, the first feature from the director of Mandy, as well as two episodes, no, excuse me, just one episode from American Horror Story, The End. And that's the the name of it, American Horror Story, The End. This is episode one of the most recent uh, series, and I'm coming into a blind. Are you also coming into a blind? I am. Great. So we'll kind of be an original voice. So instead of going for a, you know, 10 years back or more classics next week, we're kind of going to go with more of a a modern classics or things that are playing into this new release of Mandy, Let the Corpses Tan, that that filmmaker's um, previous film. Yeah, kind of looking at these directors' uh, previous efforts, um, they all seem to kind of fit into, you know, sort of a gritty genre, dream-like, phantasmagoria kind of thing. I do we'll... love me some phantasmagoria. I just love that word. Is there a better one? I'm going to try to say that word as many times as possible next week. It's like if Fantasia was gory. <laughs> Great word. Five stars. Ten out of ten. Would mm-hmm. watch again. All right. Well, I think that's it from Taylor and... Michael. This has been Drink in the Movies. Please come back next week where we will be talking about All Hallows' Eve's Eve films and topics. And until then... Drink your six packs. See you next week. Run! Go! Get to the chopper! We have to go. I'm coming with you. Right on time.